There is no better place. It's time to talk. The only way to get anything done in Cork is to go on to the The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love Cork people. Conversation that matters. And I also love this day of the year. It's not my favourite day of the year. I think 1st of May is my probable favourite day of the year. I don't know about you guys. I always think 1st of May is really the start of summer for me and the big change. But I love the 1st of February because it's the first it's the first day of spring which is fantastic so happy first day of spring everybody uh, and indeed happy St. Bridget's Day more on Bridget a little later on this morning but she certainly dominates the newspapers today uh, even though she wasn't born today nor yesterday way back uh, around about 450 uh, AD even on post uh, are in love with St. Bridget because she gets her own stamp from today as well so who is she and how will we celebrate her feast and what's the backstory to Bridget we'll have lots more on that throughout the course of the morning today backstory well which backstory would you like to deal with when it comes to RTE um, it is the organisation and the stories that just keep on coming and it must be very demoralising for staff who work hard and are paid uh, reasonable wages but nothing like the huge amounts of money they could bandied about these days when it comes to the public sector broadcaster and the latest one now uh, is D Forbes is back in the news and she is not talking uh, and has not um, and has very much an awful lot of questions to answer which probably will remain unanswered I suppose at this stage but like for instance the mayor this morning says D book stops here D Forbes signed off on a golden handshake uh, to a top executive uh, amid total disregard for staff it was a secretive golden handshake for a top executive uh, by the name of the, the uh, former finance officer Breda O'Keefe uh, and the Doyle committee is livid over this kind of a special deal even the minister Catherine Martin says it's an appalling disregard for fairness in treatment of all staff that there would be these kind of secretive golden handshakes on the one hand but the amounts of money of course are also uh, eye-watering it was apparently a 400,000 euro golden handshake for the former chief financial officer signed off uh, and of course approved uh, by the um, uh, outgoing boss of RT at the time D. Forbes so hey Jordan that's a big story making the front of the, the mail today um, Television licence is never far from the news. And there are two different stories regarding Mary Lou MacDonald this morning. First is to do with the television licence. She makes The Sun where she says, not unlike Leo Varadkar who said in the door a few days ago that it's an outdated mode uh, of, you know, paying for or charging for uh, television. And he says that they're going to get rid of it as well. But uh, Sinn Féin would certainly abolish the 160 Euro TV license fee. I don't know whether this is, um, you know, popularism or electioneering or whatever, but she's declared that it would be gone under them and I suppose you'd still be paying it, but you'd be paying it through direct taxation, I suppose. But the other story regarding Mary Lou, I had to do a kind of a double take on this this morning. It's a story that makes the star. It's a big photograph of Mary Lou McDonald standing up in the Doyle, uh, looking very smart, in my opinion. Very, very smart. Um, and, you know, in this day and age, you would think that, um, you know, to be quite honest with you, your own, your own dress code and how you express yourself should be your own business. But there really are um, some people out there who just don't kind of get this. This was a member, this wasn't a TD or anything, but it was from a member of the public who complained to the Count Corla about Mary Lou's dress code. Uh, she was accused of being disrespectful in the doll for wearing a mesh top 
it's um, not just the mesh top but uh, a white t-shirt underneath paired uh, with a black blazer uh, and a pair of red framed glasses with pendant earrings I mean the amount of detail involved in Whatever upset this viewer is is just amazing. Uh, and of course, the Count Corla got this and the complaint said that there should be some sort of a dress code to prevent people from wearing, um, you know, I suppose, um, an assortment of clothing like this all at the one time. But uh, there's no there's no mention, um, uh, you know, of other individuals in the doll and, you know, T-shirts that could do with a good iron. Mick Wallace or Michael Healy Ray wearing a cap indoors or anything like that. It's all Mary Lou today and her dress sense in doll Aaron. Uh, talking about changing dress sense or what you can and can't do within an organisation. Big news this morning where it's been announced that members of the Defence Forces can now grow beards, wear multiple earrings, sport nail polish under the new rules. There's a lot more, actually, uh, more, more bizarre, I suppose, a more different, a more self-expression hairstyle will also be acceptable, um, all to be permitted. Um, and a lot of this is to do to try and encourage more people to actually join uh, the military. Um, this is recommendations aimed to make the military more inclusive. I, I read the articles that I saw this morning. I didn't say anything about tattoos, so I'm assuming, as it was, tattoos are probably all right within the army and the navy and what have you, and probably always have been. But um, nail polish um, and, uh, you know, beards and, you know, multiple earrings all in. Up until now, you wouldn't be allowed to do anything like that. Uh, front page of the Echo this morning has a, an article that features Councillor Mick Finn. Uh, he's talking about um, worries uh, within the community, particularly within families, because of the increase in organised fights taking place in various areas of the city. I suppose gang culture is very much with us now and a lot of these organised fights probably are between different gangs from different parishes, etc, etc, etc. And apparently it's getting worse. It's the front page headline making the Echo Day rise in planned fights. There's a lot from the courts actually. Um, it's, it, it's, it's only right and proper that if somebody spits at a shopping, cent- uh, shopping assistant, uh, shop assistant doing their job, uh, that you should be before the courts be before the courts and perhaps sent to jail. When that happened with a, for a man by the name of David O'Donovan, no fixed address, who spattered a shop assistant inside of the Massey Town Rotisserie Deli on Paul Street. There was another incident as well, apparently, with regards to smashing a phone or what have you. But anyway, it was before court yesterday where he was jailed for four months. And there was another story then of a, a woman by the name of Lisa Phelan who uh, punched a guard in the side of the face during a drunken incident. Uh, and when arrested after another such incident and asked for her name uh, she replied that her name was Mona Lisa Margaret dropped her pants and exposed her bum to the arresting officer now she was before the same judge yesterday Judge Mary Dorgan and she got um, a, a three month uh, jail term uh, so a couple of courts there's a, another court case that will soon start and it, it's the man who's been accused of murdering his wife in Cork City last July now the book of evidence yesterday uh, was served, his case, which means that you know his defence counsel would have it and everything at this stage now. And his case now has been sent forward for trial at the Central Criminal Court. So we'll keep a close eye on that trial in the coming weeks and months. But it goes back to July 14th of last year. His name is Regin Parathapara Rajan. He's 41 years old, charged with the murder of his 38-year-old uh, uh, Deepa uh, Parathes Hut Dinamani at their home at Cardinal Court in Wilton in July of last year. So that's the story that makes uh, this morning's Echo today. Different court reports for you. Uh, I got a response from Michal Martin, the Tawnishty, yesterday. It was quite short. I was asking, are you, are you now happy with uh, the compromise with regards to 
Parky Cueve, the fact that it would be known as Super Value Parky Cueve. He came back to me and says, um, I am happy with it. It's a reasonable compromise. And the Red Tops have uh, the tarnished uh, making the inside pages as well, welcoming the decision to rebrand Cork's largest stadium as Super Value Parky Cueve because he was very angry about the original proposal. And I believe, talking to Tony Lean yesterday, that it really was the original proposal was Super Value Park. Now, regardless of any kind of reversing that the board are trying to do out of this, I'm led to believe this was the original proposal, Super Value Park. Uh, but anyway, he says, it's, Michal says that it's in his DNA anyway. And for him, it will always be uh, Parky Cueve. But alarmingly, and it's probably true, knowing the world that we're living in now, for every town and village in Ireland, the scourge of drugs, particularly cocaine, and certainly amongst young people, why wouldn't it be uh, the scourge of um, sport also? The Sun says this morning that GAA stars are hooked on cocaine and the addiction to cocaine is rocking the GAA and that the GAA is terrified of the growing cocaine crisis among players. It's a story by John John Kearns making the front of The Sun today. And then you talk about, it's never too far from you know, a story that we deal with on air, and that is people who travel overseas uh, for surgical intervention for weight problems or obesity or just being way, way too fat. So obesity patients now are, are being forced because a lot of the time if you, get, if you want to get help or intervention on the HSC, you could be waiting five years. So they're being forced into treatment overseas to some fairly dodgy uh, clinics, for want of a better term, in Turkey. Uh, and we hear more and more horror stories involving Irish patients, but yet more and more people go. Now, they don't necessarily go uh, just for gastric banding, gastric sleeves, gastric bypasses. I was coming back from uh, Istanbul there last year uh, on a plane. And, uh, you know, when you're sitting down at the airport waiting to board the plane, uh, I saw people who had been there for rhinoplasty because they would have had bandages on their nose and other people had other worked on besides uh, issues regarding regarding weight. But unfortunately, lads, it's just going from bad to worse. In Ireland now, 60% of adults are now classified as overweight or obese, 60%. And that's just adults, unfortunately, our young people and our children are also um, developing the same kind of issues regarding weight. Um, more on this in a few minutes' time. Uh, Michael O'Leary makes the papers. You might have heard at the weekend that Ryanair had bought up a load of houses. There was a, a, a housing complex above in Swords County, Dublin, where 28 new houses were built. Um, and in swooped, in flew Ryanair, and they bought 25 of the 28. And Michael O'Leary says he has nothing to apologise for. He says, no, our first job is to look after our passengers and our second job is to look after our staff. So they bought 25 of the 20. I, I'm assuming the deal here is that um, the staff then would live in, in the accommodation, maybe share the accommodation with other cabin crew uh, and would pay Ryanair the rent accordingly. So what do you think of that? Do you think it's right or wrong, particularly if you maybe were uh, a young couple or an individual who wanted to buy one of those houses and found that Ryanair bought 25 of the 28 of them off uh, on, from under your nose. Um, there's a lot of stories then as we head into 2024 with regards to the ever-increasing amount of scams that are out there. And they're saying that those that are losing the most money to scams, 8.6 million in Ireland last year, are over 55s. I won't dwell on this now, but uh, I may well come back to it uh, today or maybe in the next few days. Charlie Weston has a story in The Independent this morning that says, um, I gave you the figure, 8.6 million. I gave you the age demo, over over 55s. 
and the amounts that they've been caught for can be anything between 5,000 and 600,000 euro. Somebody was caught for 600,000 euro. A lot of it is finance fraud, you know, um, you know, dodgy deals that are supposed to be pucker. But it also involves romance scams and, you know, accommodation scams and rental scams and holiday scams and all of that and lots more besides. Text 0868104106. We're lined up with loads and loads of calls. Let's get stuck in after the break. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Michelle on the N40 this morning, uh, the South Ring. What's it down to? It's down to drivers and driver habits on the phone, driving too close, driving too fast and what have you. Uh, there were crashes and everybody then was uh, was put out because there was huge delays and everything was backed up and all sorts of traffic issues. We've been talking a lot about driving these days, haven't we, and the craziness of the last uh, uh, few days with regards to cars being stolen. Amazing the amount of text that is still coming in on that with regards to particularly the Japanese imports and whatever. But anyway, I don't want to keep people too long. James is standing by Shanti as well. But first up, Sarah, good morning. And this is... Um, good morning, th- this is an morning. Inc- This is an incident, of course, um, that where you're talking about children... Going to school? Are we talking about Claro out Tower Towerway? Other on blind? Yeah, yeah. Claro National School. It's a big school, Neil. So it's and I mean, it's on. I mean, there'll be a lot of trucks passing it there from the Mallow Road. And I have to say, all the trucks are absolutely brilliant when all the kids are coming out of school. They're a happy too. They're absolutely fabulous because all the the children from first class upwards actually come out of that gate of Claro School and they come through the church grounds and out by the church and in the road there by just outside through stores there's like not a zebra crossing as such but it's a crossing and there's a little island in the middle of it so I was going collecting my daughter last Tuesday there and I was coming down the hill it was 25 past 2 and from behind me I heard like a small little white van and it absolutely flying down the hill so much so that it was like speeding so fast that the engine was actually roaring and everybody kind of looked but as it came to the island it braked and it skidded all the way and all of a sudden there was the most massive bang so there was and he was after hitting the middle of the island say after hitting the pole knocked the sign and everybody was screaming so I just went to go to get my phone because I said oh my god he must be hurt and you know we need an ambulance we need the guard and I heard sirens coming from behind me and when I looked there was a guard of four by four vehicle chasing the van oh now, the my van, god the van did 360 degree turn in the middle of the van after the bang and then he took off again and he headed over towards the Balancholic in a scour direction and the guardie followed them so they did obviously absolutely flying it but everybody was shocked Neil because if it was five minutes later there was definitely ten if not more kids totally knocked they, they would have been pa- they would have been crossing on that pedestrian been, crossing area and I mean I suppose, you know, the children are told all about road safety, but they just step out. They, like, Clarot's a big school, so the amount of them that just come out a half to on the dot, there's a drove of them, so literally the traffic stands to stand still for, you know, while all the children are... Yeah, I know. Yeah, just, just incidentally, no, nobody on lollipop duty there of an afternoon, no? No, there's not, Neil. There's no lollipop lady there. No, I mean, oh. I have to say, you know, there's, there's the traffic, the trucks are very understanding. They're always watching and the kids, even on that time I would have stood by the zebra crossing and they'd stop and I'd wave and say, oh no, I'm not crossing over. But the I, kids do step out straight away, so they do and cross over. Okay, so added to that, apparently, there was another vehicle coming against this character in the white van. So he had to take some kind of uh, avoidance 
not to crash yes. in to the oncomers. Yes. He was completely out of control. It was so, spinning yes. out of control, you're saying, and yes. and and crashed. Are, are you, I mean, are you somewhat critical of the Garda chase? Well, you know what, Neil? Like, I suppose on one hand, yeah, okay, the guards are there. They're trying to protect us and whatever. But like the amount of parents that said at, ha- at 25 past two to be coming down the speed, the, at that speed, into an area where there was cars parked, there was children about to come out of school. You know, it was just a disaster. It was, it, oh, it was just a miracle that there was nobody here. But, but it should, no be, should it be the case that the guardy should back off from a high-speed yes. chase I mean, if they know, you know there are, you know... Yeah. Yeah. An awful lot of parents around said why they didn't stop the chase at the top of the hill when they knew they were coming into an area that was so populated by kids and cars and everything and maybe, you know, follow it on from the other direction. I don't exactly know what direction he did afterwards where he turned right. He came over, say, Ballancolic or NAD direction. I don't even know what it was about. There was what no was that high speech? I mean, what was, he, what was he fleeing from, I wonder? What he was, because, like, when he hit the pole... 360 degrees he turned right around in the middle of the road and there was people just about to approach him and he just took he actually had to still do maybe a 90 degree turn again to take off again to avoid the garage you live in crazy times did you get a look at the character did you? he seemed to be I seemed to be one nail in the van but I didn't get much because I suppose you know what we were all shocked and it was just happening so fast and you know, it was just listen. Yeah, it was, children wouldn't stand. Stopped. Children would not stand a chance. Um, of course, you know, I'm just curious because I can't remember 100 percent what the what the rule is for Angarda Shikana regarding chasing. Uh, yeah. Whether they are to engage in a in a chase or yes. a pursuit yes. or to back off or yeah. try try call ahead and put up some sort of a roadblock. I, I don't I don't know what the policy is, but you'd yeah, be, you'd be hugging don't. your children a little bit tighter after an incident like oh that. Oh my God, like I went up the hill and I was as pale as could be and when I saw all the children come out, I actually nearly started crying and I actually put my hand on my daughter and I said, come on, love. And you know, I was nearly hanging on to her and I suppose you know, there's like an autism unit in that school and I suppose, you know, my own daughter is mildly autistic and, you know, you kind of try and give them the independence of being able to walk out of the school and cross the road. I know, I know. I know, I know. You know, I know. It's, it's just frightening so to us. It was it just a miracle is all I could say, Neil, that there was nobody hurt or no car damage because, you know, the cars around even Listen, in, you know, like, um, you know, uh, a lollipop person there, a lollipop lady or a zebra crossing wouldn't have stopped your man. But you, no, prob- you probably should be getting on to your local councillors to get something done there to absolutely. make it safer to cross, absolutely. to be honest. With you. Yeah, you know, really. yeah, yeah. All right, girl, mind yourself. Thanks so much, Sarah. Right, thanks. We live in crazy, crazy times. Appreciate it. Look after yourself. Text 0868104106. Don't even start me on the amount of text then on people robbing cars. I'll come back to that as well. But let me get back to one of the stories from earlier on. Ryanair, their new housing estate, 28 houses in a new development. If you were one of the people who had your eye on one of those houses, you'd be quite disappointed when Ryanair swooped in and bought 25 of the 28 new houses. Uh, we hear of vulture funds and pension funds doing that all of the time. Uh, but now there's a case where uh, Ryanair are doing it as well to look after their staff. And to some extent, I suppose, they have to be kind of praised thinking about their staff who don't have a problem paying rent, but have a problem trying to find somewhere to live. But James mightn't necessarily agree. Good morning, James. Sorry, what did you say, pal? What would I not agree with? I'm just wondering whether... Yeah, go ahead. No, I think think the timing of it is very unusual because the previous week, I believe, there was a vote in the Dáil to continue with this current stamp duty uh, regulations regarding vulture funds. 
Now, their funds outside the country, they pay no tax virtually in this country, and they've decided, the government have decided to continue with the, with the current system. To allow them to allow them to go around with a representative with a clipboard buying housing off plans or buying up entire housing estates. Yeah, for for out of the country, out of the country people. Uh, the, the, so you you, you, you don't, but do you you don't agree with criticism of Michael O'Leary and Ryanair buying twenty five houses out of a twenty eight housing estate? No, absolutely not, because it's going to free up another twenty five houses from other place in the city. Because that's where their, sta- their staff are staying at the moment. What about where their staff are staying at the moment? Some of them are travelling from the south side of the city to the airport at four o'clock in the morning. I mean, and for a start, the environment should benefit from that straight away. Yeah, but what about people who themselves would like to buy one of those houses as a starter home or a young family who are looking for somewhere to live? It's not, very, it's not a very fair or equitable playing pitch, is it, when you've got a multi-billion euro organisation to be able to buy pretty much the whole estate? Well, I think a lot of the tech companies have done similar, and the, and the but do we do do we know that though? But do we know that James? Are you saying that maybe? Oh yeah, that's go- well known. Give me some examples that's of that. Do Google do it? Facebook, Meta, on Microsoft in the area there in Dublin, they own a lot of property around there. Have they bought properties or bought a big chunk of housing estates? I think they've been buying. I believe they've been buying properties for years. Okay, okay, well, okay. Michael O'Leary is, is a fair target. Like, I mean, he's got on in spite of the government, not because of them. They've tried to hinder him in every way. I just thought the timing of it was most unusual to try and bring more bad publicity, which turns out to be good publicity. He, he doesn't seem to uh, care about whether it's good or bad publicity. He said, no, sorry, nothing to apologise for. Our first job here is to look after our passengers, and our second job is to look after our staff. And I think that's fair. Like, I mean, he, he pays his taxes in Ireland. Ryanair pay a lot of taxes in Ireland. They're, the, they're them to be the highest, second highest polluter in the country, but they're not because their they're, they're figures are based on uh, European... Okay, oh, uh, that's, I mean, okay, I appreciate that. But w- you wouldn't be a fan, I'm just thinking out loud here, of a rule or a law that would be passed in Ireland to say that anybody, any individual or any group or any kind of company can only buy one house. They wouldn't be able to buy two or four or 25. That should be the rule. In um, New Zealand now and in Germany, I, unless you're a resident, you cannot buy more than one property. Yeah. Unless you're a resident of the country. And I think that's the way it should be. I think the, the rule is outrageous that there's not some control over that type of thing. I don't particularly blame Ryan here. I blame all of the people and the laws that allow that to happen. Okay. It's so unfair. Okay, and but, driving up the but he needs to be treated the same as the pension funds and vulture funds. If it's good enough for them, then it's good enough for Michael O'Leary. Absolutely. I didn't hear any of them named or so-called shamed. They were just vulture funds or investment funds is, is the, probably the buzzword for them now. And all of that money has gone out of the country. All okay. of it. Okay. Uh, one, um, one Microsoft place opened in Dublin in 2018. It's a 34,000 square metre campus. It cost the company 134 million euro to build and it will house 2,000 staff in Leopardstown, County Dublin. So that's kind of one of the examples you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, that's, like they're all doing it. In, in around the city centre, in or in around the docks, there's a lot of property owned by Google and Apple and all those companies in there. They've bought it for their staff because they couldn't get staff because there was no accommodation. It's very simple. I mean, the, those people, some of the staff were travelling for an hour and a half to get to work for four o'clock or half four in the morning. 
I mean, he says they're only around the corner now, so they have some control over how they get there. Then it's not going. To, I'm sure he's not going to charge the exorbitant. I, I don't know what I don't know what rent he'll pay. Pay. I, I don't know what he. Would you think he might be the kind of guy to give a discount rent, or would it be market rent? I've no idea. I'm sure it'd be probably market rent. Okay, be, very you interesting. Know, it yeah. would be sure. Okay, very interesting. M- much obliged, and thank you for them. Thank you, James. Thank you, Sarah. Text 0868 Because you do have an awful lot of people coming into Ireland who want to come here to work. They don't want to bleed anybody dry or anything. They want to come here, get a job, settle down, find somewhere to work. A lot of the time it's in tech or it's in pharma or it could be in hospitality. Uh, Anthony says, I think the immigration crisis we have now has gone beyond control and the mood of the nation has changed now and it will continue so long as the government refuse to listen to the people. I think labelling anyone who dares to question the current shambles of the so-called system as just being far right, well, that is wearing very thin now. Uh, The simple fact is that our direct provision system has been a shambles for years and now the reality is we're still accepting people into the country with full knowledge that there is nowhere for them to live. The government had no problem clamping down on Ukrainians now that it's uh, about time the same applied to asylum seekers. That is happening, Anthony. There are more countries now uh, being put on the safe list which will preclude people coming from those countries. Anyway, he says, rather than building more direct provision centres, the ones already in existence should be made better. In the world we live in now, a global village, a person should not be waiting over a decade for a decision as to whether their request is queuing or is available or is indeed valid or not. It should take three months max. Anybody arriving without ID should not be allowed to leave the airport and sent on the next plane home. It is clear these people had some form of ID when they leapfrogged into Europe. I also feel labelling people as far right will become even more problematic in the future and will turn out to be even more dangerous than the actual real far right. Uh, A very interesting point there because a lot of people who say, for instance, protest or rally outside potential centres to house international protection order individuals should not be deemed as far right. They should be deemed as concerned citizens. However, unfortunately, sometimes uh, the whole far right umbrella is quite broad and some involved then, unfortunately, um, it gets physical, um, uh, it gets criminal uh, and that's then when everybody gets branded unfairly as being far right. Uh, anyway, I just want to get back to the phone lines enough for me, but get your texts and get your texts coming in on that and a lot more besides text 086. Um, let me see if I can get this name right. Is it Janelle? Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Glad I got it right. Good morning to you. Just pick up on this um, this Garda chase in Clarow for me, if you don't mind, around Kerry Pike. Well, it was in, yeah, it was in Cloheen. Um, I was, we, kept, we, we, we don't drive into the school anymore, so we're all on the main road now. Most of the parents wait on the main road. So there's a pedestrian crossing for the children. So most of the parents just park up there on the left and on the right. So I was sitting in my car and um, I was waiting. And the next thing, there was literally a white van and there was, it was a guard, a jeep. And they were, I've never seen anything like the speed in my life. Like they just literally came straight down the hill from Clohe. It would be from um, the Blarney Road area, you know, by the Currer Graveyard down, down towards the Kerry Pike School. And they were literally, it was a high speed chase. It was like, it was terrifying that they were so fast. Forgive me now, because I'm I'm just hearing of your contribution on the hoof here. Are we talking about two different schools where the chase continued from one? Ah, okay. Thank you. Yes. Go ahead. So it would have passed, it would have passed Cloheen School first. I don't know 
if it passed, if it came up Blarney Street or I don't know where they came from. But and you heard Sarah and her description of what happened yes, around. Yes, I did. And then yeah. I was going to say it happened because it was actually worse than Cloheen. So the it chase, really the chase continued. You saw it, did you? I saw, I did. I saw, I witnessed it myself. I saw it from, they, I don't know where they came from, but they obviously, they could have come from, I don't know if they came from Blarney Street, Holly Hill, you know, up by Apple. I don't know where, but it, they certainly would have had to come that way to end up down in Cloheen. I don't know where they came from well, originally. What did, what, you know? did you, what did you see? Did you you saw the white van? Uh, they, they, saw... they were two parents. They, they were two parents trying to pull in at the side of the road, and the van, the van nearly crashed into the two of them. And he just swung around, and the um, the guys were right behind. Well, the speed was just unbelievable. It was terrifying. And clearly, and there were sirens going and everything. Yeah. Yes, they were. And yeah. ag- and again, it was that it was that um, it was that children pick up time from primary it, school. It was, it was because it was literally it was a miracle because by minutes there was a class that were Ballycannon Park would be the GAA field. The the kids go across there, and um, for walks with their teachers. And literally two or three minutes later, one of the classes came out with their teacher, and we we had to get out of the car and say, "Be careful," because we didn't know if they were going to come back up or not. What it was actually of, frightening. What kind of speed? Oh, I, it was definitely, I, it was def, I, I would say maximum speed. It was definitely over 100 miles an hour anyway. 100 kilometres an hour, terrifying. I suggest, yeah, 100 kilometres. Yeah, exactly, 100 kilometres. Um, it was just, it, it was it, it was a friend of mine then, one of the parents, um, he was coming from the Anglers, you know, the junction, the, before you come over the small bridge by the Anglers Bar, it's very narrow bridge. I don't know the name I of the bridge. I do know it, I do know it, here. yeah. Um, he had to pull into the ditch um, he was actually terrified he'd pull into the ditch because the van nearly, nearly crashed into him. Would This is not a criticism of those that were doing the pursuit, members of Vanguardia Shikana, but would they... Oh, I know that 100%, w- w- but, but it was... But, but it, like, it, we're talking about a miracle here in two different primary schools that there wasn't loss of life. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it literally was within within minutes. It was literally within minutes that, that the kids were coming up from, from the GAA pitch. It was minutes. So do, wouldn't that wouldn't that stopping. lead you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't that lead you to believe that these high speed chases should not be engaged or, in? Absolutely, I, they were insane because one of the parents came back when when the guards actually came, they came back up afterwards, and he I, he stopped he stopped the guards and he said he obviously explained the situation what had happened to him on the bridge, and he had said what had happened like why were you doing that in the middle of the day, and he just said that it was actually we we actually had to let the guy go. He said because it was too dangerous. Well, the guard said that to your man then? Yes. yes they they, they yes. gave up in the end. Yes, okay, so that's how it ended. Apparently, Margaret is suggesting how it started. And she says that chase that you're talking about started in Sunday as well. The guards were doing right. a spot check. Your man took off okay. when the guard approached the van. That's when they went into pursuit. It started in Sunday as well and so headed out, as you started. say. So yeah. I was thinking it was that way and then he would have went. Yeah, it would explain that he probably went up the grotto. Up, up the hill, up, up the main hill. hill of Strawberry Hill, possibly, yeah, because yeah, okay. we definitely came from that direction. But I mean, to pass two schools like that was just, was terrifying. Mm. I don't know what we we thought it had been a robbery or or drugs or something, you know. But who it knows? Was, who knows? Who knows? Exactly. But it was well, just terrifying to, at that to, time to, of day. To flee you know? from Angarda Shikona and to flee from a checkpoint involves the fact that you've got something to well, hide. Somebody innocent, anybody? You no, know, you're so. not innocent. You're sure? Well, you're not. Like you're not. There's something serious there. But it was just the lives of the kids. You know, we were just very, very. Everybody was very lucky on the day. Now I don't know. Afterwards, I know the lady was saying in Clare Road that you know that obviously his car was damaged or 
and but he carried on driving. Is that correct? That's right. Afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I just it's just it was just the danger. I, I obviously it's the guards they're doing their job. I respect that. But I just thought with two cars to be speeding at that, you know, I mean, it, it, we were just very lucky that, that there wasn't there wasn't the two cars that were coming in that weren't crashed into, you know, they were oh, reversing out, yeah. into yeah. their spaces. Our you know? kids coming out of the school. Thank you so much. Thank you, exactly. Janelle. Appreciate it. No much obliged. Take all. care. Text 0868 after the break. So WhatsApp Neil now. 0868 The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I suppose the question I'm asking really is whether or not you guys think that the Garda Shikona should engage in high-speed chases or is there a better way? Uh, text 0868 Just one quick one on this. I read out the text there from Margaret. She was obviously a witness to how all of that started. Margaret, good morning. Did you see uh, the event in Sunday as well, I wonder? Well, I just saw the start of it. Um, I was coming up Sunday as well and they were kind of doing, I'd say it was probably the tax and insurance um, that they were checking and I, as I said, I was just coming up the road and it's just speed off your man took off at a merciful speed down the road and the guard ran back to the jeep and took off after him was the guard in his own uh, he didn't no there was one on the other side of the road alright well. so two of them jumped they were, in they were yeah. checking both sides yeah. no no one, one just jumped in the other guard was actually had a van well, it was a long, that was a long chase then if it went from Sunday as well all the way out to Blarney and in and around um, like it you know, yeah that, because, well I said that because like he Realistically, he wouldn't have been able to get over Wellington Bridge. He'd have been caught in too much traffic there, so the only other direction he could go was out the Lee Road. Did you get a look at the character, did you? Uh, well, to be honest, he looked like um, he, he just looked like a, a fella coming back from work or something. He was just one of these little box fans, your man had a beanie on him. Why would just, you, why would you like, do a runner like that for tax and insurance, though? Well, maybe it was his work fan. Maybe he thought he was going to get caught for something and he'd lose his job or something like yeah, that, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean... It's, it's, it's kind of hard. Well, it could be something else, but it's kind of hard. You would think... Why people yeah, do these things. You would, yeah, I mean, okay. So, like, we, we can speculate that it could have been a lot more than just tax and insurance, but who knows? Certainly, anyway, uh, the, eventually, uh, the Garda chase was stopped. They just they just gave mm-hmm. up. So I don't know what happens next. Well, to be honest, I did say to myself at the time, like, it's a bit of a dodgy time to be engaging in a, a chase, especially at that time of the day, because this was just before half past two. We could be having a, a completely lot of different conversation. Yeah. I agree with you. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. Listen, appreciate you taking the call. Thanks for listening, Margaret. Much obliged to you. No Take problem. care. Text 0868 Right, this, uh, this side at 10 o'clock. We all like a good story, don't we? A lot of people like a good crime story as well, bearing in mind... Uh, that the story I'm going to tell you now is a real story, is not fabricated and is not made up. Um, um, Frank Graney, uh, who is uh, our national uh, crime and courts correspondent, engages on a regular basis with podcasting. He's on to series three now uh, of his latest uh, series of podcasts. is called Inside the Crime. I'm Frank Graney, host of Inside the Crime, a News Talk exclusive podcast and we're back with season three, the Unalinsky murder. Everyone was out looking for her. Every neighbour around was out looking for her. It's been over 50 years since Una was abducted, just a stone's throw away from her home on Porterstown Lane in County Meath. And what happened next would destroy families, ruin friendships and tear an entire community apart. I couldn't take any more. I just couldn't take any more. Una was the first to be killed, but she wouldn't be the last. He said he was roaring. 
He was literally tortured. Listen and follow on the News Talk app, powered by Go Loud, or wherever you get your podcasts. There was a big slogan painted on the road. And it said, Murderer. Frank Graney joins me by phone. Frank, good morning. Good morning. That sounds amazing. The story of Una Linsky said goodbye to a pal of hers on October 12th and she got off the bus in 1971 and it was two months later that her body was found in the Dublin mountains. What's it all about? Yeah, it's it's a remarkable story and I suppose through the five episodes in this series of Inside the Crime we started off looking at the as of yet unsolved murder of Unalinsky. But the story, as listeners will see as the series goes on, um, delves into many other um, aspects of the story. There are so many different directions that this takes us takes us on. But crucially, I suppose, in relation to Unalinsky, you mentioned she stepped off a bus. She was on that bus with her cousin and her friend, Anne Gohan, and she stepped off that bus just before 7 o'clock in the evening uh, in October, on the 12th of October, 1971. She said goodbye to her cousin. They went their separate ways. Now, she lived on Porterstown Lane, which was a short walk from where she got off the bus that day. And in the next 15 minutes or so, it is believed that she was abducted um, on her way home from work. Um, that 15-minute window was crucial for so many reasons that would become clear uh, throughout uh, the series. Unalinsky's body, as you say, was found a number of months later. But to this day, we don't know what happened to her during that 15-minute window and we don't know who is responsible for killing her. But we know, according to the podcast, that there was, um, okay, you say it was unsolved, apparently it was solved for a while and then unsolved afterwards, but that there was a bunch of lads in a car in the laneway and that people heard screaming, yeah? Yeah, there was certainly an awful lot for the Gardaí to work with when they arrived on the scene. And you have to remember this was 1971, a time when serious crimes like this were um, investigated very differently. Certainly the approach to them was very different because Gardaí back at the time didn't have the likes of CCTV or mobile phone records, nothing like that available to them. So it was old-style police work, knocking on doors, taking witness statements. And there were an awful lot of witnesses in the area during that 15-minute window that heard screaming screaming coming from the direction of some fields known locally as the Three Acres. There were also a number of sightings of a mysterious car on the street. That is significant. That is crucial. Um, one person, indeed, a cousin of Unalinsky, who is a contributor on uh, this series of of Inside the Crime, a man called Porrick Gohan, saw a car driving past him as he made his way home uh, from work at around the same time that Una would have stepped off the bus. He got a good look at the driver, a middle-aged man, well-dressed. He gave that information to Gardaí. There was a local farmer that saw um, a a large, dark-coloured Ford car speeding away from the junction of Porterstown Lane and Ferry House Road, which is where Una would have got off the bus that evening. He gave a very good description of the Gardaí a few days later of of that driver, again, a middle-aged man. And significantly, he said that he could see another man in the back of the car with a girl who appeared to be crouched or standing behind the driver's seat. And he said that just at a glance and the car was going at speed, it appeared that that man in the back of the car was trying to kiss that girl. So we don't know if that was Una Linsky, but given, I suppose, what happened during that 15 minutes a window, you would suspect that it was. All of these leads are available to Gardaí, but when the murder, murder squad descended on, the Garda murder squad, when they descended on Porter's Town Lane, they narrowed their focus to three young local men, and that's when the story, from our point of view, uh, really took off. Yeah, that would be Martin Kerrigan, Martin Comney, and Dick Donnelly. Um, mm-hmm. were, 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 were 
were all of them or some of them convicted of her killing? The Garda murder squad, and this again was at a time when you didn't have dedicated detective units in every Garda station across the country. What you had was a group of so-called specialist guardy, specialists in interrogation and of analyzing, analyzing evidence. They descended on Porterstown Lane to investigate this crime. Um, you know, when days went by and Una hadn't uh, returned home. Now, a lot of statements have been taken at that point by local guardy. And when the Garda murder squad arrived from Dublin and started going through these statements, they found a number of inconsistencies in some of them. That led them to the doors of Martin Conmey, Marty Kerrigan, and Dick Donnelly. They were three pals, three young men who had been driving around the area in a Ford Zephyr. Mm-hmm. Dick Donnelly's battered 1964 Ford Zephyr. That proved significant because of the number of sightings of a Ford car in the area at the time. Now, some witnesses thought that they had seen a Ford Zodiac, which was very similar to the Ford Zephyr, but a far more luxurious model, and it certainly would have looked out of place on Porterstown Lane back in 1971. Mm. So there was a trial the following but year. But there was, there was allegations um, which feature in the podcast of them claim that they, at least some of them were beaten, harassed, forced to sign confessions. Was that right? Yes, and that's I suppose another remarkable part of, of the story. And this was you know, a few years before um, allegations were being made of a so-called heavy gang um, operation yeah. within Angarda Siakana within this Garda murder squad, or to give it its official title, the technical unit which was based at Dublin Castle. We've all heard, I'm sure you're, you and your listeners will be very familiar with stories like the Kerry Babies case. Yes. Um, and the Salins train robbery was another one where you know, there were allegations of police brutality. But we believe through our research in this podcast and from speaking to those close to the case that perhaps the heavy gang was operating back in 1971 as early as the origins of this case. But one of the three then was subsequently killed himself. That's right. Um, Una Linsky was abducted on that night back in October 1971. Her body, as you say, was found in the Dublin mountains a couple of months later. But sadly, tragically, um, another person died not long afterwards and was left up at the Dublin Mountains in a spot not far from where Una Linsky's body was was found in a shallow grave. Now, that man's life was taken despite the fact that he had absolutely nothing to do with what happened to Una Linsky. And again, we will speak to members of his family because that is, you know, this is a case, I mean, we're talking about a case that's now 53 years old. Reporters Town Lane, just to familiarise you you and your listeners, this is a small country lane, um, not far from Ferry House Racecourse. It's a very peaceful place. I was there only last week. It's a small farming community. It was certainly much smaller back in 1971. So to think that something like this could happen to a 19-year-old girl on her way home was unspeakable at the time. And to think that Another young person from the area was killed in violent circumstances um, not long thereafter. You know, in a, it would it be fair to say in a, revenge, in a revenge attack, perhaps, or something like that? I think a fair characterisation would be misplaced vengeance. Okay, okay. Um, and did it split the local community right down the middle then? I imagine it probably did. Absolutely tore them apart, yeah, it really did. You know, as we found out through our work on the podcast, it pitted neighbour against neighbour and it also destroyed... Um, elements of families um, were ruined, friendships were ruined, um, trust was broken within the community and this was a tight-knit 
community. It was a small farming community where everybody knew everybody. Neighbours were all out helping each other whenever they were needed. Doors were left unlocked um, during the day so that neighbours could pop in and say hello as they pleased. That all changed after Unalinsky went went missing uh, back in 1971. And we hope through our work on this podcast um, that we, by shining a light and by bringing this story back into the public domain, that somebody out there might remember something. I mean, there were some very distinctive descriptions of the driver of that Ford Zodiac. And a Ford Zodiac back in the day, as I say, was a luxurious car. You know, it was very unusual to see it in Portestown. And it was a ministerial car. Not many people drove Ford Zodiacs back in 1971. So we're hoping that... I suppose with the hindsight of time that, you know, misplaced loyalties um, might have washed away over the last 50 odd years mm. and that somebody might come forward with something to assist the Gardaí who are now looking at this case again afresh. Mm. So wouldn't it be amazing if even the smallest piece of information that somebody thinks might be insignificant if they come for- came forward? Because as often as the case, that small piece of what you might consider to be insignificant evidence is the key that unlocks everything else. OK, I'll allow the podcast to tell the entire story itself. Uh, thanks, Frank. Make some uh, good weekend listening for people looking for a good podcast, season three of Inside the Crime. Uh, I think the start of it um, is all five episodes up now since Tuesday. No, um, it's a weekly podcast. So the first one went up on Tuesday and each and every one of the other episodes will be out every Tuesday for the next uh, four weeks. Okay, look after yourself. Thanks for that. An incredible story. Uh, Very interesting story. Frank Grady on Inside uh, the Crime. Uh, Check it out for yourself wherever you get your podcast. Text 0868104106. There are so many other courses, of course, that we've been talking about unsolved crimes and murders, haven't we? Uh, particularly here on Leaside, and certainly with the, the recent death of the chief self-confessed suspect, as in he always knew that he was the chief suspect, the late Ian Bailey. More after 10, text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Can I please Conversation wish that matters. all the very best to the transition year students at St Mary's High School in Middleton, because they've got a fantastic new exciting production of Shrek Junior, the musical. And it runs from tomorrow until Thursday of next week. And everybody's invited to go along, watch Shrek as he sets off on the quest to save Princess Fiona for the big, bold dragon. Uh, Tickets for the show and well done to them all. All of the students at St Mary's High School in Middleton. Tickets are on eventbrite.ie and just search for Shrek. Uh, Break a leg, guys. Have a good one. Oh, also a big, big shout out as well. And a happy birthday greeting to Sister Colette Hickey, the founder of Edel House, because she turns 106 years old this week. And everybody wants to wish her a very happy birthday. They posted online, happy birthday to our wonderful founder, Sister Colette, turns 106. Uh, She still keeps a gentle, watchful eye over us and loves to hear all of our news. So happy, happy birthday to Sister Colette today. Um, Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. As we celebrate, as I say... For me, anyway, the start of spring, uh, first day of February, with the days getting that little bit longer, and also St. Bridget's Day. Remember earlier in the week, I was telling you about an article that it was in the mirror by Larissa Nolan. She was saying that this really is the time, or today, or certainly this week, when we all need to get stuck in to spring cleaning, um, vacuuming, uh, you know, washing the duvets. 
um, dusting the walls, cleaning the curtains, um, getting stuck into everything and anything um, uh, with regards to doing the house up for the oncoming season of spring and into the summer. But it's also St. Bridget's Day and she's the go-to girl on that as well and she joins me by phone. Nar- Larissa, good morning. Good morning, Neil, and it's a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> Thanks so much, you're very kind. Uh, so I'm assuming you've started your spring cleaning, have you, or have you got one of those robotic uh, robotic um, um, uh, vacuum cleaners that does all the work for you? I have none of that stuff. I'm stuck in the fifth century when it comes to, to anything technological uh, like St. Bridget herself. But uh, unfortunately, yes, I have been, because I've just moved house very timely, so uh, whether I like it or not, I'm doing all these spring cleanings. Yeah. So it involves the likes of, uh, you know, skips and uh, and vans going to charity shops and cleaning everything out. But it is, it does feel, uh, it feels very good to get rid of all that stuff. You're, yeah, it, it can be, can be. It's very therapeutic, isn't it? Although you're on a kind of like an industrial scale of things that have to go. But I think the spring clean itself is like really marking the change of the season, isn't it? This is it. And this one is called Imbolc. Uh, so it's one of four quarter days um, in the Irish calendar that goes back into ancient times. And they mark the transition from one season to the next. So we're going from, obviously, the winter right into the spring. And the idea is that you purify and you cleanse and you get ready for the next brighter, the brighter days and uh, the better weather. So that's that's the whole idea. So oh, it is kind great. of, it's actually a good news thing. It is. And it's great to be optimistic of the worst of the winter behind us and the days getting longer. And what of the woman herself? We have three patron saints, don't we? St. Patrick, St. Colum Kill. But yep. today's day belongs to Bridget. Who was she? Isn't it amazing how this has taken off? Uh, Bridget is our only female patron saint, so we can call her our matron saint. And I presume, I I grew up near Kildare, Neil, so we always had a big thing about Bridget in school. Every year we made the St. Bridget's Cross. Um, You know, it was a lovely crafty thing to do. You'd get the reeds and you'd bend them over. And we used to put put the cross on our house, uh, which was supposed to protect against fire and hunger and all these things but we always knew who Bridget was just I suppose because of the location where I grew up but I'm not sure until the last couple of years uh, you know with this new Bridget's bank holiday and so on that she was maybe that well known as No you're right she, she wasn't no no not in the same bo- not so in the same ballpark There's an awful lot to learn about her you know she she's a pre-Christian saint um, she was very ahead of her time she was sort of a young activist a kind of a feminist in her way uh, in, in her approach um, in the way she refused uh, kind of all the normal trappings of, of society. Um, she went on, she was known to help the poor and the sick and children and animals. Um, she was a, like, she was a legend, a legendary, there's a lot of legend around her. She's apparently one of the original goddesses of the Tuha de Danon, you know, this supernatural uh, race. Um, Is she AD or BC 450? Do you know something? It's, I always wonder about these things. It, it completely confuses me. But I can tell you that she's 1,500 years old. So whoever has a better mathematical brain for stuff like that, she was born... That makes her, a, um, that makes her AD. And it's bizarre then that she wouldn't be a Christian saint because Christianity and Christ would have been 500 years old at that stage. But she was much... This, this is, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, no, no go ahead. This is, she is, she's a pre-Christian saint. That's what she is... Uh, she is regarded as, and I always wondered about that, that um, myself, but didn't she surely cross over maybe or to some degree because she co-founded a very early Christian monastery in Kildare and that's why she has such uh, strong links with Kildare. But I think it's a lot about, it's a bit like St. Patrick. You know the way some people have him coming from Wales and some people have him coming from somewhere else. Oh, yeah. he was originally a different guy. So I think she, I, this might be slightly my own take on it, but I think she may have 
a couple of different um, characters within her. And what she has become really is the, the combination of those characters into this legend. So she, you know, so Ireland at that time hours. probably still was, most definitely was still very Celtic and to some extent was quite yeah. still very pagan, if you like. Yes, exactly. And I think that's, that's the key, the, 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 the key thing about her. That she has, you know, and even if you go back there to even the phraseology of in bulk, you know, and you had Samhain and Lunasa and Bealtaine and all those. So it's, it's back into those kind of really early Ireland and, you know, the, the, the sort of basis, I suppose, uh, of Christianity came out of all these things. Even when you look at what she was doing, you know, when you, all that sort of work with the with the poor and, you know, at, at one point, apparently, she, she helped the blind to see. Um, I love the fact that she turned water into beer, you know, n- not water into wine for Bridget, it was water into beer. <laughs> one of the miracles involved, I read somewhere, that she turned one single pot of dirty water into ale and shared it, like the loaves and fishes, with the parishes yeah. of 18 churches. Well, I mean, that would must have been some party uh, that night. It, it sounds great. I was thinking it's a very Irish loaves and the fishes, isn't it? It is. Um, so is she, the, pa- is she the patron saint of beer, amongst other things, do you think? I believe she is. She's a patron saint of a very long list of things. I mean, I came across, she's a patron saint of midwives, of, of blacksmiths. Uh, I think somewhere I read that she was a patron saint of sort of publicans or beer makers. Um, so yeah, she's gotten all these um, all these different people connected to her, um, which is which is incredible, really. Uh, she's she's so she's across so many different. She's got her fingers in so many pies. Yeah, and uh, the, the relics of her then. I mean, we wouldn't even have time to go on to where her relics and her bones ended up all over Europe. Some came back, others didn't. You might remember the tour yeah. of the relics there about I don't know fifteen or, or twenty years ago. But I believe some more relics have just returned again now to Kinsale is it I don't mean to sound macabre here but a part of her skull I believe is that right I actually do you know something I read something about this the other day and I hate to say this Neil but I actually can't remember where it was in our it was it was in our paper I believe and I'm trying to remember what happened her relics have uh, come back you might actually know a little bit more about that element of it uh, than me but there's something to do with her relics coming back to Kildare I think was that's that right the, yeah that just, just most recently yeah. you know uh, because apparently it was an unmarked grave way back in the day and then the grave yeah. was lost and then it was found again and then she was moved into bigger, I suppose, cathedral type settings or whatever and moved again and and and, uh, and before you know it, her, her I, I believe that her popularity went right across Europe and, the, and, and, yeah. her, and her bones then travelled all over Europe to various, uh, I know that they ended up, yeah. the part where I'm talking about was in Lisbon in Portugal. In Lisbon, I heard that. You see, I get very confused with these relic stories because there's always bits of bone and a bit of this found here and a bit of that found there. But no doubt, um, you know, that is the, the relics today. I think more than any other time would be of interest. If, if this, if we were having this conversation five years ago, it probably wouldn't have been that big a deal. But Bridget is now, uh, in the last couple of years, she's what uh, what people within the Catholic Church call box office. So she has, you know, anything like that. Um, would be of, of huge of huge interest now. I think uh, more than ever. Um, we we just want to know all about her and find out where she is. And and uh, so yeah, I, I would I would um, I would say that uh, if we can find little bits of Bridget all over the all over the world, um, they'll be popping up everywhere. A bit like Saint Valentine, or you know, you you, you find these things with a lot of a lot of saints. So, um, so many, so many stories, though. I mean, I know it's a long, long time ago, but her father wanted her just to settle down and get married. I believe is that right? So they say. This, 
this is it. And I understand that he had had her set up with somebody that she uh, she wasn't um, she wasn't too keen to, to to go with because she wanted to devote her life to religion, which she did. And um, she pulled out one of her eyes to destroy destroy her beauty. Oh my god! Um, so so goes the story. Um, it may have been exaggerated down the years, I presume, but certainly she sabotaged her own beauty. Um, in order to be a woman in her own right and independent, which was, again, uh, centuries ahead of her time. Centuries, thousands of 1,500 years ahead of her time, wasn't she? She was a very independent woman then, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, even to think about that, to go on, um, you know, she originally was born in Dundalk in County Louth, and to go on then to become an abbess and to found a monastic community uh, in Kildare, um, you know, it's it's a it's an incredible thing to do for a woman of her time. Absolutely. And is that is that monastic community and that abbey etc. still there in Kildare? I wonder. I it's in Kildare um, itself. I remember it again. I'm I'm sort of going back from memory here. Um, I think it lasted for hundreds of years, but I think now. I, I should have I should have this information right to hand, but I mm. think now. Well, there certainly uh, is the St. Bridget's been, Church in Kildare Town, anyway. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be that wouldn't I would say be named named after named after herself. But um, I think this uh, the 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 original monastery was it existed with men and women, as far as I understand, mm. for centuries. But um, I, I would imagine, and um, I should actually know. She was around uh, today. She'd be one hell of a powerful woman, wouldn't she? She would, but you know, I was thinking about her all week because I was, there's so much to read about her. There's so much to learn about her. You could, there's, there could, there's, you could write a book about Bridget. There's every little thing about her. There's, there's so many stories. But what I, what I took from it is, when you look at all the strong women in Ireland, and we have so many of them, you know, over the years. Even if you look at uh, re- the recent, uh, the late Sinead O'Connor, mm. we have this sort of uh, history and, and enduring legacy. I think in Ireland of these very very strong women, and I, I honestly think that when you go back to these kind of people, you know, like Saint Bridget, that there is some sort of link there that's coming down through, the, through the millennia, through the centuries, um, and and I, I do feel like that we're still sort of getting a little bit of impact there from Bridget uh, down through the years. So hopefully, long may that continue especially as she's been so celebrated now. Well, I'm delighted, as you put it yourself, that she is box office again, because it's a great story and God knows we need it. And today is her special day. So make sure you go and have yourself a pot of beer later on today, Larissa, to celebrate. I will. In okay. honour of Bridget, I will indeed. Cheers to Bridget. Take care, Larissa. Take care. Larissa Thanks, Nolan from you. the Irish Mirror on the day that's in it, St. Bridget's Day. Uh, text 0868 106 after the break. Call Neil now. 0818 The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Alright, I love a good challenge. We love a good challenge on this programme and Liam Lally, who's a regular contributor to the show, sent us a, an old video from the RT archives that he came across online. It's a video of a young Kate Cotter from Douglas. Now, the year was 1982 and she appeared because she wrote a letter to RTE wanting to appear on a television show that was running at the time called Young Line. And he challenged us to find Kate 52 years later. So just ahead of that, this was uh, Kate who wished to go up and to read the news and meet some of the people that she admired within RTE at the time. But enough of me. I'm just going to play you a couple of minutes of the actual audio itself. Have a listen and bear in mind, Kate's nine. It's 1982. 
Charles, I have somebody here to meet you. Oh, this is Kate Cotter. Kate, hello. How are you? Charles, hello. Mitchell, Kate. Nice to see you. And she's come all the way from Cork to see the news being read. Yeah, well, this is where it takes place. I see. Good. Have you seen much yet? Are you going to see around more? Yes. Well, I think she's come to see you for something special, Charles. What's that? Something she wants to ask for. Ah, autograph. Yes, of course. Pleasure. Kate Cotter. And you're at school, are you, Kate? Yes. What's the name of the school? Our Lady of Lords. Our Lady of Lords. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And you got the day off special? Yes. Well, I hope you enjoy yourself, Kate. Many thanks for calling. Thank you. Right, Kate. I think we'd better start work and prepare your bulletin. What do you think? Yes. You ready? The big event? I think it's time we took you down to get made up for your bulletin, is it? Just take this with us. Well, Kate, the big moment is nearly here now. Tell me, are you nervous at all? No. Not even a little bit? No, not even a little bit. Do you think it wouldn't bother you to be a newsreader? I'd like to be one. Oh, would you like to get up early in the morning? No. Well, Kate, this is as far as I can go. You're on your own now. The best of luck. Thank you very much. Ten seconds to air. Nine, eight, seven, Coming six, Kate on two. five, four, three. Stand by, running. Two, to cure. One, seven, take two and cure. Here is the news. Nine-year-old Kate Cotter from Douglas and Cork visited the Youngline Studios in Dublin in Donnybrook today. Alton introduced her to Anne Doyle, who helped realise her ambition. I think that's just fantastic. <laughs> oh my God, and all these years later we tracked down Kate Cotter. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How, I'm glad I've made you laugh. Uh, no, it's just lovely. Did you grow up to be a newsreader? I didn't grow up to be a newsreader, but I did go to work in television, and uh, so, so I did actually stay stay in the in the area. I think it did have a big influence on me, actually. I you just took the words out of my mouth. It certainly did, and it navigated you into that career as a program leader or a lecturer in broadcasting in in West Scotland. It wasn't today nor yesterday. What do you think of listening to it again? Well, do you know it? It is lovely listening to it because it was a big deal. I mean, at the time, you know, it was. Ireland in the early 80s, we had two channels and we all watched the same telly and every Tuesday night we used to watch Young Line and it was Alton and Anne at the time, she was called and um, they had the Drew machine and kids did all sorts of things. I remember seeing somebody driving a train and somebody else being a nurse. And it's quite funny because unlike, you know, we won't mention Jimmy Savile, but unlike kids in, 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 on the BBC who were doing things like Having a bath in having a bath in beans, it's in the beans. You know, we were kind of going for jobs in Ireland. We were all <laughs> the eighties. So um, I would say what happened to me was I was watching Youngline, and the news would have been on pretty much straight after, because it was about half five. Youngline was on, and then the news would be on afterwards. And Anne Doyle, I was, you know, like most young people at the time, there wasn't an awful lot of beautiful women on television and RTE reading the news. She was the first, really. I think she's the, the second Irish news re- female newsreader. Um, so I was really, really impressed with her, and I really wanted to meet her. So as a nine-year-old, was she an idol of yours then? You were really admired? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, she was fabulous. You know, we, 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 it was a glamour that we didn't see much of. 
uh, on the screen. So, uh, yeah, so I suppose I really wanted to meet her and uh, wrote in a little letter to them. And, uh, you know, I, I still have the letter that they sent me back because uh, it was all letters um, uh, saying, yes, you could, you know, we could do that. But I think even getting um, train tickets to Dublin and getting a hotel paper and all of this was as exciting as anything else like, at the time. like going to Australia in 2024, wouldn't it? The equivalent <laughs> it in 1982. So <laughs> but you, you didn't come across as a nervous nine-year-old, though. No, I, wa- I wasn't at all. No, I wasn't. I Wait. loved every... I did really. I mean, it says it in the thing. It says I love every minute of it. I did, I did. And were you I mean, very famous in school then with your pals? Well, I was I mean, probably not liked because I'd had two days off school. <laughs> so there was, there was a bit where nobody spoke to you for a few days. And then, of course, by the time it went on air a few months later... Yeah, it was it was it was big, but I mean, I went to a very small school, so in fact, that fame that fame didn't last long. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I mean, it was it was amazing because you can hear in the clip. Um, I went to the newsrooms and met, and they were very noisy because it was fax machines and typewriters Telex everywhere, and printers and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Charles Mitchell uh, was there, and, and you know, had been already, I think, at RT quite quite a while by then. Um, but I also met people like, I mean, they were all there. They were, they were all in their offices. Charlie Bird. They're, they're real. They're real people. You see them on the television, <laughs> but they're real people. They walk and no, talk like Charlie us. Charlie Bird was there as well. Who was, you know, our kind of budding, moving yeah. reporter at yeah, the time. Yeah. And um, who else? When I was in the makeup room, uh, Mike Murphy was in the seat next to me. You met them all. And actually, the makeup artist in the clip. Um, I, I'd need to I'd need to check it, but I think she went on when we got a few years later got Glen Rowe. She went on to be Michelle in Glen Rowe. Oh, all right, you certainly know yourself. So, and of course, what became of Van Doyle? Uh, I mean, I think she's she's retired a while back, didn't she? But she had a very long, prolific career. You at better RG. believe she did. Absolutely. You, know, you haven't you haven't uh, spoken to her. You haven't spoken to her since nineteen eighty two. I've never spoken to her since then. No, I haven't. Okay, well, let, let me let me change that for you. And Doyle, good morning. <laughs> oh, good morning. I hope I didn't frighten you so much, Kate. That it took forty two years before you spoke to me again. How are you? Oh. Hi Anne. Oh my goodness, this is lovely. Oh, I'm gonna cry. That, that is so you lovely. Know, Hi Anne. I'm I'm just glad I said you were very glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we're not doing FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> you might be impressed just at the moment. But um no, I was looking at that clip as well and I think you were actually much more self confident than I was. I'm kind of nervous. You're as cool as a breeze. Yeah, yeah. A nine-year-old oh, full sure, of confidence. I'm sure you could teach us all about fake it till you make it. You know what it is. We're all, we're all Do doing our best. That, but I, I, I actually know, I was listening, I realised I must have been very nervous uh, because I sound quite buffy and clipped. That's a sure sign that I'm You terrified. do not. You sound fantastic. You really and you've done that for years and years since, in fairness to you. But do you remember it? Do you remember that event in 82, Anne? I remember it very well, actually, because I was I was probably oh, I was probably ill at ease at the start, but actually Kate put me very much at my ease because 
I wasn't really used to nine-year-old girls. But anyway, uh, and I thought, oh, Lord, she'll be, you know, she'll be lost here. She'll be struggling. She wasn't struggling at all. She was fabulous. She fit it in much more easily than I did. In that old world of the clack of the typewriters, Lord, that brought me back. Yeah, you must look back at that 42 years ago and see how different it was. I mean, we we all know of the, you know, the icon Charles Mitchell reading the news at six o'clock or Don Coburn, but what... What a voice, what a presence he had. What, what a number of old friends I saw there. Cyril Smith was there too. Went off to live in Spain, regrettably also no longer with us. Let's not get too morose here. <laughs> Some of us are still here and uh, sure Kate is only a young one. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are, you are too. You still become a newsreader. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just such a, it's just such a... Such a pleasure, really, after all these years. You'd, you'd wonder uh, you where know, the years go, wouldn't you? They fly by. Yeah, but there's no point when never waste time on that because you're wasting whatever time you're in. I think First I think, thing, uh, I think there's a birthday beard. greeting is there for you. Happy birthday this week, I think, Anna, am I right? Yeah, yeah. My birthday actually was yesterday, although my birth cert says the day before, but there was always a little error there. And so it was... You know, the last day of winter, first day of spring. St. Bridget steers all in the right direction now. But are you keeping busy? Sorry, go ahead. Give her your birthday wishes. Yeah, sorry, Happy birthday and and many more of them. Thank you very much. And so lovely to hear you. So lovely to hear you. You know, I I think you inspired an awful lot of young women particularly. You know, I think we we didn't see very many people like you on telly and you really did inspire people, I think. I mean, I... I well, went on. That's very nice of you to say so. Yeah, it would be lovely to think that is so because I was I was very much an accidental newsreader myself, but that's where I ended up. How did that so come about? Then? How did that happen? Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> it was an ad in the paper. That's how long ago it was. It doesn't really work like that anymore. And they advertised a job, and a friend of mine. Uh, suggested that I might like it. How little did I know? Yeah. I think I I thought I would be able to sort of lounge around and read a lot, which is what I like to do. <laughs> and so I answered the ad. They never advertised in the papers after that. I'm not quite sure what that says about me. <laughs> that was the end of that era. <laughs> and the rest is history. And how are you enjoy how are you enjoying life now? Oh, very much, thank you. Well, you know, the alternative is pretty grim. <laughs> so, it's good to be here. <laughs> and it's good to have the, you know, leisure time to be able to cook myself, really. Yeah. And I do a bit of work here and there, but I didn't return to work, you know? I know. To it, was, it, yeah. it was a long, it was a long working life, really. And uh, some people want to work forever, and that's an admirable thing. I'm not one of them. But was it hard to say goodbye and to close the door like that? No, it wasn't. I was ready to go. Um, I was very happy to go. I think maybe if I had worked on until I was 65, I might have found that rather brutal. Yeah. But um, I was lucky enough to get out a little bit earlier. And it was, at, you know, at a time that I wished. So I was fortunate with that. And uh, I've been very happy with that. I know that you wrote a book, didn't you? Which is uh, the book called Tales of the Other World, a frightful collection of Irish ghost stories. I hope that sold well for you because it was a period when you were living with a ghost yourself, Evelyn. Is that right? 
we did have a boat out, so we moved in, but she moved out as well. It was a bit like RTE doing away with the ads in the paper. We moved in, the boat moved out. Yeah, it's a compilation of both stories, really. But um, I, I had a good time doing it, and I enjoyed it. And you're li- just, I won't dwell on it too much, but did you ever did you ever see the ghost? Was it, I believe it was a, a, oh, a very tough... Oh, yeah. Well, that's a, well, of course I saw the ghost. How else would I know that it was a ghost of the day? <laughs> thought you might yeah, have just heard the ghost. Time. But she was gone. She was gone, I'd say, within three or four months. A very so tiny lady with grey hair and a bun wearing a wraparound a overall. A tiny, tiny little woman. And she looked like, I think this was not really a very good way to describe it, but she looked for, rather like a lady from quite a while ago. She certainly had, she wasn't a modern woman, let me put it that way. And she never spoke, but she sort of, was busy. She moved around the place a lot. I just converted. Amazing. I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, I can well imagine. Well, I, I suppose she felt that there wasn't room for the two of you, so she decided well, to move. Maybe she was happy that the house was happy. I hope. Well, I'm. I, I hope. I hope that you're happy. That really, you probably are responsible for directing Kate in as a young nine-year-old into a career choice that took her through life. I don't think. I hope. That, that I would help, but um, I my memory of Kate is that she would make a success of whatever course of action she decided on. Oh, she was so very self-confident and very together little girl. As oh, I say, she was a lot you, cooler than I was. Actually, um, actually, Anne, I think once I did go and work on in TV, I realised I was much happier behind the camera, uh, <laughs> that I would leave that. That, uh, that intensity to people like you um, and I became bossy I think, producer director behind the camera a lot of us actually who for whatever reason ended up in front of camera probably might have enjoyed behind I mean I have a couple of friends who moved behind the camera and loved it you know but anyway yeah. it was too late for me I'd answer the ad and that was that and I'm glad that you did go in front of the camera because we wouldn't have had you for all of those years otherwise well I'm, I'm delighted to be pressing the life out of you <laughs> You should do stand-up comedy as well now that you're retired, you know? Okay. Oh, Lord, no. There are enough chances at that. <laughs> well, I'm delighted. I'm delighted to have had the opportunity to talk to you. And I certainly know that Kate is delighted. So I'm glad, I'm glad that I could make that happen for you, Kate. I listen, it's great. Oh, I know I was thrilled, actually. It was just, I couldn't believe it uh, when, oh. when I heard Seamus. And I'm, I'm really delighted. And I'd like to take the opportunity to wish Kate continued success and good health, and also yourself. You're very kind. Now, there you go, Kate. You couldn't come better than that. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was a really unexpected, lovely moment. Thank you so much. Lovely to hear from you, Anne. I remember you very well, a charming little girl. All right, and so are you. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Kate. Lovely story. Thanks for sharing. Bye. Bye. You too. You Bye. too. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Uh, we text and emails as well. And this by email. 300 grand per year of sponsorship, is it, for Park Equive? And they've got a 30 million euro debt. Yeah, that's it. Well, Neil, this 300,000 will only cover 1% of the debt, needless to say, much less due in interest, etc. There are 30 super value stores in the county of Cork. So in layman's terms, you could say it's 10 grand per store per year, basically. So 10 grand over 52 weeks per year equates to 193 euro per store per week. 
Again, in layman's terms, this €193 per store equates to a minimum one week's average family shopping grocery. That's one trolley per week per store towards the sponsorship. So basically, this would cover the 300 grand. Or if you want to break it down more, €27.50 per day per store in Cork to have its name branded on Cork's GAA ground. Absolute farce. If you held two concerts or a few rugby games in there, it would cover this joke of a figure. The county board were sold a pup. They should be asking a minimum of £100 per year for the privilege of calling a new stadium after a supermarket chain. But the uncontrollable county board will accept the measly offer. Um, Supervalue and Musgrave's big boys must be delighted with the deal. No need to be a skilled accountant or a mathematician to back up these figures. I know, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. There was people yesterday saying that, yeah, it's fine, it's good for Supervalue and many others wouldn't bother divvying up anything at least they did but they got one heck of a deal on it at 300 grand a year for sure they did one or two more on that I mean we're never too far from the convention centre um the Eagles rock band announced a series of concerts and a new purpose-built indoor arena in Manchester um, in the UK. It's the largest indoor arena in the UK and it's called the Co-op Arena with a capacity of 23,500 people. The company who constructed the arena? BAM! The same company was congratulated for completing the construction project ahead of schedule. (laughs) Oh, my God, that it could happen there, but not here. And ahead of schedule as well. The same company congratulated for doing it ahead of schedule. Here we are eight years later. As an aside, Neil, the Eagles first announced three concerts, and due to huge demand, they've now announced a further two concerts. What a band. Absolutely what a band. Sadly, Glenn Frey now passed away, but the remaining members, including, thankfully, the great Joe Walsh, will be playing in this uh, farewell tour. It's not the first one, I think, uh, from the Eagles. Um, I don't know, forgive me, are, are there, is there a Dublin leg on this? Are, are they playing Dublin? I, I don't know. Um, and then lots more on different texts from people regarding dangerous driving and what have you. But can I, just, can I just go back to conversations we had yesterday? And among the conversations we had had to do with menopause. Now, that even the word menopause, because it's a play on or deemed to be the equivalent to menopause wrecks some people's heads. I'm not saying that it wrecks Barbara Scully's heads, but she probably rolls her eyes up to heaven. She's the author of Wise Up for a book on on older women that dealt with that um, um, about being a a woman going through menopause and all the implications of it. I spoke to her about it in the past, but I was curious to get her thoughts on what we were talking about yesterday, and that is the male equivalent with many of the same symptoms. So, Barbara, good morning. How you doing? Your thoughts, please. For the man, it's also <laughs> depressing. It's also low energy. It's also low libido, weight gain, hair loss, brain fog, lack of self-confidence. Can't get out the couch, off the couch, can't sleep. So <laughs> what are you laughing at? This is all real stuff. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not laughing at all. But uh, there's two things. Number one is I haven't given a huge amount of thought. I did hear about this discussions around menopause and I did throw my eyes up to heaven you are quite correct and I kind of went oh please oh please like, what say like oh my god but 
then I thought, okay, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I am not an expert on hormones, uh, which is what causes a woman's menopause. So I don't know what's going on. I, I find it hard enough to understand what goes on with a women's, woman's menopause without having to worry about what might be happening with a man's menopause. Well, as years go by, we lose the testosterone and we lose the serotonin, girl. That's what it is. And your hair falls out and your bellies get bigger. That's right. Um, <laughs> but, that's not, know, the, that's I, not I, all the points and the takeaway curries by by the way <laughs> no 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 my husband says that all the time yeah no it's not that at all yeah it's just what happens um, <laughs> but you know it's the same now, and I'm going to get into all kinds of trouble for saying this but anyway I've thought a lot about women and menopause and all that kind of stuff and you know a lot of those things happen as you get older anyway do you know what I mean Are, how much is about you getting older and how much is about actual hormones and will that hormones trigger you getting older so I you know I don't uh, know. would you give us some compassion we're very compassionate passionate towards women and menopause and yet you guys are not returning the favour at all are you reckon? <laughs> you reckon you reckon you are I don't know that you are but um, yeah, no I do think that what happens as well as you get older anyway regardless of what goes on in your body which as I say I'm not really qualified to talk about because I don't really understand it but what goes on anyway is the fact that you do kind of have a bit of an existential crisis as you get older and I think it starts perhaps at around 50 do you know when you hit 50 and you have that realisation that kind of comes out of the blue which is that you've more behind you than you have in front of you now and you that is kind yeah. of the start of yeah. like oh my god yeah. and yeah. you have that kind of because in our heads we don't get older it's only in our bodies that we get older. In our heads, we're still whatever age. Although Professor O'Reilly, who was I was chatting with yesterday, let me just pick up on that aspect of what you're saying because he said, and this is a quote, in work, men, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, in work, yeah. there could be a whole new generation passing him out. He also, and So therefore, he's seeing the younger generation coming up in the workforce. Um, and as he's yeah. getting older, he's feeling as if, you know, uh, that he thinks that people think that he no longer has much to contribute, that it's a changing world, that the pace is but, moving too fast for him. But you know what? Like, all of that is baloney in his head. But it comes from the fact, and women suffer from this more than men. It comes from the fact that we live in a hugely ageist society. We live in a society that absolutely idolizes youth and, and values that over everything. And to age is seen to, you know, start to fail. And, and getting older is seen, and these are the messages that we are told from the time we are quite young, that as we get older, you're kind of on the highway to death and destruction. Um, and, you know, you're just going to get less important. We don't put any value on all of the things that you gain as you get older, which makes, I think, older people really valuable. And the main one that you gain is wisdom. And in fairness, men do gain that as well. Mm, mm, um, mm. But women have the extra kind of, the extra double whammy of the sexism that is also still inherent in our society, coupled then with the ageism. But ageism is the very last discrimination that is still seen as being acceptable and is still seen as being okay. And we all play a part in that. Mm. We all say stupid things like, you know, again, coming back to women where our appearance is something that's always up for discussion. You know, but saying things like, God, doesn't your woman look great now for her age? Like, what? Is, is, that an insult or, is that an insult or an Irish compliment? No, that's an insult. And it is completely ageist because it means that as you get older, you're going to look rotten. So she's kicking the trend. And or is it a case that somebody is trying to so say in a nice way that this individual is really looking after themselves? No? 
but I mean, that's, but again, it, that, it, that uh, infers that those of us who age and look our age are not looking after ourselves. Everybody ages. Like, age will change your face and your body. Uh, as you know, we refer to the bellies and the lack of hair. Um, you know, that happens. It was very, fun, it was very funny yesterday. It was very funny yesterday because uh, I read out on the air a lot of the symptoms, you know, um, that we were yeah. talking about just there. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was saying, um, I, I didn't get any of those and I'm well past 50. And um, I, I wasn't off the air maybe 10 minutes that my wife rang me and said, are you joking me? You, you didn't in get <laughs> Are you in denial that you didn't get any of those? Wake up. <laughs> well, <laughs> there, there you go. She's, I, might, I may have had that conversation with my husband as well. Yeah. But you know, the sooner that you, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel this is so important. The sooner that you make peace with getting older and with the fact that you're not going to look the same as you get older. I don't know about that, Barbara. I don't know about surrendering because you're you're telling me that, you know... It's not surrendering. Again, you're putting negative... You're putting negative words on it. It's actually not surrendering. It's making peace with the fact... I can. I could spend a lot of time looking in the mirror and going, oh, God, look, lines, wrinkles, you know, my chin line is a bit saggy, my neck is starting to look a bit weird. And I could spend a lot of time, and then I could spend a lot of money in trying to do what's termed as anti-aging. But what, let's say if you had the money, though, what would be wrong with a bit of enhancement or a bit of an old wrinkle injection? I'm not, not criticising women who do it, that's fine. But what I'm saying is, Number one, recognize the fact that anti-aging is a physical impossibility. You cannot anti-age. We are all aging from the minute we are born. And the only time you stop aging is when you're dead. But you're not saying and that we should right. surrender to overweight, big fat bellies you're, or, or no, you know... No, no, I'm not saying... Letting th- all, not letting things not go. No, but it's not letting things go. And there's a different, there's a different um, debate about health because I do think as you get older, it is really important that you look after your health. And I say that as somebody who was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in my mid-50s because I was a lazy cow for donkey's years who, you know, made an absolute virtue out of sitting on the sofa and hating exercise and being a great baker and then eating my own yeah, 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 <laughs> too yeah, much. Yeah. So I know how important it is to exercise, to watch your weight and to try and stay healthy. But I think if you become consumed by how your body is starting to change, you will waste time, energy and money on stuff that ultimately is not going to make you any younger. Whereas I feel that getting older is, number one, it's an enormous privilege. I mean, once you get to to 60, you'll have lost friends along the way. So it's an enormous privilege to get older. It's also the freedoms that come with getting older are amazing. And science backs this up. Your life is, happiness is, what do they call it? The, The the U-curve of happiness. So that, and again, research has, has gone into this, which says that we are at our most happy when we're kind of, you know, early, maybe late teens, early 20s. We're on the, the edge of life. Yeah, become adults. That's true. We're experiencing all the freedom. You think the world is your oyster. There's I no demands upon you. There are no, uh, no, no, real, yeah, yeah, no real financial yeah, worries. You're enjoying yourself. You know, you're in charge. Your parents aren't in charge anymore. And it's all amazing. And then your happiness goes down, believe it or believe it not, because life gets quite complicated. And you may have a family and you may have a partner and you may have a mortgage and you're trying to climb a career ladder and all that stuff going on. All of which makes life on a day-to-day basis kind of hard work. Then what happens is you hit down towards 50 and suddenly 
those pressures start to ease up. And as you go through your 50s and into your 60s, your children have become adults now. They mightn't have fledged the bleeding nest yeah, 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 like yeah, mine haven't. Yeah. But they don't need me around all the time. So I now have incredible freedom to do whatever it is I want to do. And I have the wisdom of all the lived experience I have. So my message, which I'm passionate about, and particularly to women, is don't dread getting older. Because in actual fact, if you do look after your health, getting older is an enormous privilege. And also it opens up the decades of your life that could potentially be the most satisfying and the most rewarding and the mm. most creative. Mm. The other thing you can do, which is fantastic, is because you stop caring as much about what other people think about you. Right. So that That's gives right. you a kind of bravery. <laughs> so you can be a great activist. You can rock boats. You can kind of say what you think. Wealthy, um, wealthy, pe- wealthy people apparently call that F off money. Did you ever hear that term? I didn't ever hear that. No, the term F off money is one I saw recently. I was watching this um, documentary on the on the billionaires. It was to do with Mo- Elon Musk and Zuckerberg oh. and all that kind of thing. And one of them, which yeah. one of them said that they wanted, they have, they, they have long since reached the point where they have enough F off money, which means that they can really and truly tell anybody they, they want. They can say their way out of anything. They can say yeah. F off to whoever they want and there will never be exactly. consequences. So. Yeah, no, that's, no. That's not what I'm talking about. No, I know. It's um, just just my crazy mind. (laughs) Yeah, no, it would be a similar thing. But what I would say to, you know, what I would say to people is don't dread getting older. What I would say to men is, yeah, mind yourself as you get older. Do mind your health. Do, you know, you do need to, this is something I'm always having conversations here at home, but, you know, you do need to move more. You do need to watch your, your muscle tone and, you know, do exercises that perhaps you didn't need to do in your younger decades, but now you do need to do it. But if you do that... Enjoy it. I'm only suggesting that there's an old gel that you can get now that's got testosterone in it and the poor old fella just rubs on the old gel and it's like rocket fuel for the body. Oh my God, I hope my husband never discovers that. (laughs) That sounds awful. (laughs) Put it in his Christmas stocking, will you? Or his birthday gift or something. Yeah, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Look after yourself, Barbara, as always. You You too. Happy St. Bridges Day. Mind yourself. Back after 11, text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. We're going to take some time out to catch up with texts in a few minutes' time because there are lots of them with lots of different topics in mind. But from earlier in the week, I was delighted to see the response from people to Bambi Thug's entry uh, for Eurovision uh, 2024. Uh, And here's just a selection of them. Overwhelmingly, I mean, you're going to get the odd criticism, but that's music for you because not music isn't, you know, music is very much personalized, very individual. So you're never going to have a song. You know, it doesn't even have to be a Eurovision song that everybody's going to love. Brilliant. There is a healthy subculture musical movement happening at the moment. If this song isn't to your taste, then listen to others uh, by Bambi Thug, including Love Bites. It's... uh uh, there's, there's all kinds of music and tastes out there. We won in the 80s and the 90s, and then we sent the same genre over and over again, and we got absolutely nowhere. We do have a robust alternative music scene here in Ireland. It's about time we tried something different. Another one. I wish them well. I'll be supportive of the entry. It's really easy to be nasty about a person behind the computer screen. All the entries put so much effort in on the night. Um, it would Another one. It wouldn't normally be the type of genre I'd go for, but I thought Bambi Thug 
was amazing. Another one here. I thought she was the best of all of the acts. Great to see Cork has such great talent. Um, there's just there's loads of them. Wait, uh, one more here. If you can't beat them, join them. This is what Eurovision wants, Neil, and this could be our winner. Bambi is a talented singer and very creative. We have to change with the times. I really like the song, and I know an older generation when I first heard Dana sing all kinds of everything. Uh, mind you, that was a long, long time ago and we won with that. Times change though and we must change with the times and we just have to go with the flow. That's just a little snippet of it. Bambi Thug joins me by phone. Good morning. Good morning. How has are it you? sunk in? I'd say it has by now. It's Thursday morning. Yeah, you think it has. Yeah, you think it has. <laughs> but um, still doing a bit of sinking. <laughs> I, ha- I have to thank you for giving us something that could actually win this damn thing. So well done for that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the response has been very overwhelming and, and gorgeous. And, um, you know, the song shifts through many genres. It's not the typical type of Eurovision song either that I think has been entered. So even across across the board. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we've got a, a good chance. I reckon we do, to be honest. Do you know what I was doing <laughs> yesterday? Do you know what I was doing yesterday? Um, I was just, you know, checking you out as you do and looking at the tunes that you've done in the past. And then I got into this area where you can get into YouTube channels of individuals who have their own YouTube channels critiquing each Eurovision song. Are you aware of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen there's a lot of them. I'm trying to not look at too much things, though, because um, I'm just trying to keep my brain... Um, but it's just amazing to watch. No, I don't understand that, but I did. And it's amazing to watch. I watched two different ones with an English woman. And yeah. she, she runs the song, right? And uh, you, you can see she's having difficulty trying to make up her mind in the first 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And then you have the bridge to the very melodic chorus there where you change yeah. the tempo and then back again to the little crazy bits. And her and the other guy that I watched by the end of it are both saying Ireland first time in a long time has a really good chance yeah I thought that yeah. was I thought it's that was amazing <laughs> to watch it is I, I, lo- I, I do like um, I do like um, seeing how people's uh, opinions of a change or if they listen to it a few more times they start to realise the the cleverness of the song Um uh, I like to change people's minds. <laughs> and and also, is there a lot resting on your shoulders now? Because it's 10 years since we've got out of the qualifiers. Oh, well, I guess when you say it like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Without money to putting more pressure on your shoulders than already. <laughs> I, no, but- do you know what? Yeah. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get my visual, my vision realized on a big stage. I'm gonna do you proud, regardless of the outcome. But I think the outcome should, you know, if the world is is um, 
awake to how the music industry is actually is going and uh, then I think that we're in a good chance. I so agree with you with regards to Eurovision because it is a yeah. huge spectacular. There's more to it than the song and your, yeah. produ- your production levels are very, very high. Is it? That's not an easy thing to create, I'd imagine. Um, I mean, it... Uh, it, it would be better it's going to be better when we have a budget definitely because we do a lot of things DIY me and my my little crew um, and like I'm completely self-funded and independent um, um, apart from my last release Love Bites which was funded by uh, Roadhounds um, but it is just our imaginations coming into fruition with whatever means we have uh, at the time and I'm just very blessed to have such an incredible group of of creative friends on this journey with me and um, we really can make such beautiful things from so, from, from scratch. So you, having, you have a group of people around you that work on, say, the headpiece, the corset, the costume, the hair, all of that? Yeah. I mean, the hair is usually just a wig. That's about 20 pounds. <laughs> um, but yes, I work. I mean, uh, uh, Paul McSpecial actually made me a beautiful headpiece for um, the press day. Um, he's a Cork, a Cork artist. And then my my group of my best friends, really, uh, Sophie Gauck, who was on Glow Up, is my makeup artist. Um, Ouch Boy, who's an incredible designer. My friend, again, Storm St. Clair, who's an incredible artist of their own, and also my, my creative director. And, um, yeah, and then my, my, my dancers, obviously. Um, Matt Williams was my best friend in university. Like we, um, You've pulled it all uh, off all together as one big group. But <laughs> well, t- tell me about a little bit about, about your life beliefs, though, because um, you express it in your style. But are, are, you, are you a witch? <laughs> in the true sense? <laughs> yes. I mean, I've, yes, I, I practice witchcraft. Um, I practice a lot of sigil magic. What does that involve? Um, so sigil magic for me is I make a, a poem or a spell or a, a manifestation. I, I write it out. I get rid of repeating letters. I'm left uh, and vowels and I'm left with certain letters and I make a sign out of them. And... I basically draw the sign. I put it places, um, or I, I'll burn the sign. It's it's just kind of a. It's like a physical act to make so to reinforce things in my brain and in my in my life. You know, and, and is that like very I'm much moving things? Is that, but so so your your way of life and your beliefs are very much based in ancient Ireland mythology. Bearing in mind the day that we have today, being Saint Bridget's Day. Yes, did you put your cloth out last night? Don't lesson? you go, you see. No, I didn't. <laughs> should I have? You should have, yeah. No, why should, why should I have done luck. that, Bambi? <laughs> oh, for luck. <laughs> <laughs> have you made your St. Bridget's cross? No, but my mother did. She brought one home to us. Um, the other day, she's she's in back in uni doing cultural heritage studies. Um, so she brought one and made one. So between so we do have one in our house. Yeah. So that is the way you live your life. Yeah, I mean, like I when I moved over to London, I I made friends with a lot of um spiritual women and uh people who were very into the occult who taught me a lot and um I have a very a very good base of of that over there, but also like as a kid, like I was mad into mystic mysticism and um I mean our our country is 
our, our heritage is, is, is pagan and it's mm. it's mm. extremely um, witchy and also my father is, is Swedish so we get that Norse side as well but I'm and A bit um, of a Viking influence going on there is there? Yeah, yeah um, but I I just, I'm, I'm quite a spiritual person you know, I'm not out there making like hexes on people like that's <laughs> I say the word hex in my song. Don't hex me, will you? I'm not doing that. You know, any energy you send out is going to be sent back to you. So I make sure that it's good energy that I'm sending out. So what do you do with regards to the negativity then? You say you don't read it. You don't invite it into your life. That's probably a very healthy way to be, I have to say. Well, I I do, you know, I can't, I can't escape reading some of it, but my um I'm trying to not read it, but I do come at it from a point of these people are obviously there's something in me and my expression of self and my freedom of self that's touching something in them because they're not free themselves or they're not able to express themselves completely and you know, I send them love and light. Like they're wasting their time being angry. They're wasting them, their time in this this hatred and this negative themselves. Like I don't, you know, I, I'm 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 not about that. So I really, I, I try not to let it affect you me. You send them love and light in spite I of send them all the love in yeah. spite of any everything. And some of those aspects of criticism would be your sexual choice, the issue that you live your life as as is the criticism by being non-binary. Yeah. But like, whatever, you know, I live my life, like, let them live their life how they want to. Let me be who I want, who I am. You know, it has nothing, it's not impacting their lives, really, if they really think about it. Um, so what's wrong with them? Um, <laughs> self-love, self-compassion, um, a lack of it, I think. Yeah, also the power of being behind a the anonymity of, of a keyboard. I mean, like I, even even for me, I still have to be... I mean, should I be really, really careful? Are you forgiving of people, say, if I got the pronoun wrong and didn't use the they and the them, even though my heart is in the right place? I am never angry at people who make a slip and then correct themselves, ever. I um, I think that there's some people who choose to just be disrespectful and continue to, you know, who don't, uh, who have such a problem with it that they'll make the the choice to continue slipping up. But like, you know, it's an unlearning. I know I look super femme, but I am a they, them. So, you know, I'm forgiving as long as there's correction made and there's and there's movement to want to, want to learn and, and want to get the language right. You know, like yeah. I'm never going to hold someone to making a slip up. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. What is it going to be like now between now and May? Are there going to be huge demands on your time? How is this going to play out between now and Eurovision? Um, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm on the late late tomorrow and uh, I'm going up for a meeting just to kind of, I guess, suss out what has to be done. Um, we have to make a music video. Um, I think there's some pre-party things because, you know, I think... It'll probably be good for me to perform in these countries that maybe um, will be able to vote for us in the semi-final. Um, and I guess more interviews and stuff, though, I've been like, I, I also definitely need need like a day a week at least to like have a, a, a bed or a rest um, time because it's a lot. I tell you one thing, it's damn good for your career, though, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's incredible. You know, like I've been, I've been in the industry for a long time in the UK, and um, just seeing people love Doomsday, but also seeing people find my older catalogue and being blown away is um, incredible to watch and to see and to finally get recognition where I, I feel it's very deserved. You know, I work very, very. You worked hard. hard for it. Yeah, this this isn't yeah. something that happened last week, is what you're saying. You've been working towards this. And the break has finally, yeah. The break has finally come. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think, I think we have a damn good chance this time round, and we haven't had a stronger chance in a long, long time. Do you mind if I just have a quick chat with Paul Mack? No, go on, of course. Just curious as to Paul. Can you, I'm, I'm here with Bambi, Bambi Thug. Can you hear me, all right, pal? Yeah, hear you there, no need. Hurry, get now. You, you're the man behind the hairstyle, is that right? Uh, the headpiece, I, I guess it's more of like a sculpture up in the top of Bambi's head. Kind of yeah, that antlers kind of effect. These are the antlers so, and, that uh, I see, yeah? Yeah, yeah. With, with the crescent moon in the middle then to um to match the lyrics of the song. So, yeah. And like I, I got it done in um, six days, which usually I could spend... Because like, I'm a barber day to day, so I do these <laughs> things at night. Like So... Um, I was only back from teaching I was educating in India and before I was heading off to London where I had four headpieces over in an exhibition with um, James Mack who he's a, he's a famous makeup artist so I had to get Bambi's in between so I was literally coming home from work falling asleep on the couch for a bit and then working till the early hours but I've always been a night owl anyway so that kind of suits me you know Bambi <laughs> seems to have a real kind of um working for free co-op around her like you it's kind of like organic isn't everybody doing their bit to get this production moving that's it but you know myself and Bambi are kind of we've always been kind of black sheep we're from like similar places in West Cork McCroom and Ahiol you know we kind of gravitate towards each other and we're kind of on the same kind of wavelength you know so I, I, I've been looking for someone like Bambi for years Fair to kind of collaborate little did I think they were down the road in McCroom you know <laughs> <laughs> it's a small world pal you'd never you yeah. never know your creations could absolutely take off and fly yeah sure they will yeah I, they will <laughs> I, I sure I, I taught myself over lockdown um, <laughs> I, I watched uh, Alexander McQueen documentary and it was his collaborations with Philip Tracy really inspired me I was like wow I want to have a go at this and it's been a quick progression like um, you know I was a, a guest judge on Glow Up with James Mack as well and that was on BBC and it was an RT and you know I've had stuff in Vogue and all which you know is very surreal coming from I, I never studied art or fashion or anything at all self-taught yeah but it was but in there know, pal it was in there all the time yeah <laughs> that's it are you um, which, Bambi doesn't strike me as a nervous individual with the coming months ahead and the big challenge <laughs> of Eurovision are you nervous no, I, I always believed what, what Bambi could do. Like, that Bambi has that X factor, that kind of, you know, star quality, you know, say like what, you know, Sinead O'Connor would have had back in the day or Dolores O'Riordan. You need something out of the box. You need something different. And sure, like what we've been sending to your vision hasn't been working. No. And sure, like, what is it? Albert Einstein's the... <laughs> 
know, the definition of insanity <laughs> to keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. This is the first time in 10 years we've tried something different. Well, let me and tell like, you now, we are expecting a different result. <laughs> For sure. But like, if you look at, you know, the hype online, you couldn't even name who was finalist the last 10 years. No one really knew. But it's the talk of the country the last week. Bambi's on everyone's lips. Whether good or bad, the Europeans are going to love it, you know? That's what Eurovision is about, isn't it? It's a big... You know, even if you want to call it a a sort of a, a shock factor, that is an asset now in Eurovision, right? Totally, sure. Look at Lordy back in the day when they won at the like heavy metal kind of monsters. Main skin one of the years back, they were kind of out there. Um, you know, you, you need that unique selling point. And I think and also... Like, you, you need to be like going viral and trending online. Like Bambi's going to get out to Sweden with the hype already there. And you're representing not just Ireland, Bambi, but also Cork. I don't have the date, yeah, but I think, I, I think it's 19, something like <laughs> 1978 since we had a Cork entry, as if that's not enough for you to know. So, wow. I don't know you're putting more pressure on your shoulders, but it's Cork as well as Ireland, you know? Well, look, that, even, that makes me even more proud. <laughs> Right, listen. It's good to catch up with you both. A um, lot of lovely texts coming in, wishing all of you well, and so am I. I think this time we really have a, a really fighting chance. So good luck with everything. You'd never know. I might get an opportunity to chat with you guys again. Uh, this between all now right. and May, you'd never know. But Paul, Mac, you're yeah. still doing short back and sides inside in McCroom, are you? Oh no, no, I, I'm, I'm in Cork, Paul Street. Are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm working in the city twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Do we chat before? Yeah, we've often chatted. I yeah. thought I recognised your voice. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm <laughs> yeah. delighted for you and your collab with Bambi Thog. Well done, pal. Unreal. Thanks very much for the support. Thank, Thank you thanks, both you. for taking the call this morning yeah, and the very yeah. best of luck. Best of luck. Thank you. Bye. 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 All the best. Get your fix of the biggest hits and the freshest new music first Monday to Thursday from 7 p.m. Red Hits with the 7 at 7, a throwback track, and celebrating the best new Irish music all the way until midnight, only on Cork's Red FM. With Dino's Family Chip Shops, 50 years on the batter. Click and collect dinos.ie. The Neil Prendival Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Actually, you know, um, quite an amount of people celebrating birthdays these days or marriages uh, this week and another lovely one. I did a few earlier on this morning morning. There's a big fan of yours married 54 years this week. It's Mary and Joe Casey. You'll remember them from the time she invited you to her Joe Dolan party at Christmas. Um, or she was also on air during one of your Mother's Day programs. Thanks so much for giving a big shout out from her favourite sons, James and Noah. Uh, so happy birthday to the, or sorry, my apologies, happy 54th wedding anniversary to Mary and Joe Casey this morning. Um, also, uh, other parents with regards to the Garda car chasing the white van up around Claro and Blarney and areas like that. I went to collect my son from school in Kerry Pike and that van ran me off the road. The guard should not have been chasing the van. I was very close to being killed. It was unbelievable. He hit the corner at at least 100 miles an hour while a lunatic. He had a, a black monkey hat pulled over his face as he was driving. Uh, another one here. That sounds awfully, awfully dangerous. I'm sorry now that lady in Claro said the patrol car should pull back as there was a school. Uh, there could be a child abducted in the van. We don't know. 
pulled back on the chase come on I don't listen I don't know there may have been it could have been anything I'm just saying I'm just asking the question as, as to whether um, somebody could be killed particularly if there's a patrol car speeding following in a chase um, uh, in this case a white van driving through two villages with kids coming out of school that's all um, I'm pretty peed off listening to those calls this morning if I'm honest they have no clue for the reasons behind the pursuit but yet they seem to be full of knowledge on how the guards should have done their job and one more on that if the guards don't chase they get slated but if they do chase they also get it wrong maybe the blame lies on the scumbag who took off on the guards in the first place Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. And on Ryanair then, buying up properties, guys, if Apple or Pfizer or Pepsi or Stryker bought homes here for their staff, would that not be of benefit to local people here looking for rental homes? I've been called anti-call centres for years. They're importing people to man phones for most of Europe with no requirement on the employers to house the staff. It's a win-win for employers who make money. Uh, pay small tax and make social problems in Ireland. Um, well, that would be for, as you call, call centres, the Apples and the Pfizer's and the Pepsi's and the Striker, I suppose you're saying, should be buying homes for their staff and it free up, frees up more in the rental sector. Uh, Ryanair buying houses is nothing new. I remember 40-odd years ago, uh, factories used to house their workers. The workers paid rent through their wages, says Paddy. And one final one on this, there is a company in America called Blackstone, and they're buying estates in Ireland, Spain and Canada. It's very simple. Buy as many as possible and then up all the rents. Mary Lou MacDonald was on about it three years ago and Michal Martin said it was not happening. Um, actually, Michal Martin said that to me on the air as well, that it wasn't happening and it clearly was and it was happening a lot. And of course, it hasn't stopped. Uh, hi, uh, in days gone by, hospitals and hotels provided accommodation for staff. Happy staff, happy employers. More companies should do the same, like Ryanair. The first vulture fund, am I correct in saying, had the ex-bank CEOs on board. They bought apartments in Dublin and uh, charged enormous rent. I think it was like three grand a month. It's, it was possibly targeting the high-tech salaries, but it was crazy. The government has destroyed first-time buyers. Why do they insist on builders and private estates allocating a percentage of homes to social and affordable? Has the scheme hiked the same house price by over a hundred grand on the poor old first-time buyer? Uh, what's wrong with three types of building adjacent to each other? A field of houses for first-time buyers, a field of houses for affordable buyers, and a field of houses for first-time buyers. <laughs> Maybe. And then there's lots then on super value. Your text or criticising Supervalue is very disingenuous. I live in North Cork and the local store, Supervalue is very generous to supporting local charities and local sports, like I assume they do in other towns and villages around Ireland. They also support and sponsor the tidy towns, so please give them a break. So that's just a selection. There are many more where they came from, so do text 0868104106. Just on uh, my chat with uh, the lovely, and I have to say lovely, uh, Bambi Thog. Maureen, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. Okay, um, I, I don't, I, are you trying to read something religious into this? What do you mean, read something religious into it? Well, where you say that... Because I the, say that the, pr- pr- the, No, because you say yeah. that a production like that is evil personified. In, it, in what it way? It is, that's what I said. It is. It's absolutely demonic. In my book. How? And it certainly is not. It does not represent anything in this country ever stood. <laughs> This is, as far as I'm concerned, it's just deliberately eroding everything 
that is Christian. But 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 who mentioned but who mentioned anything to do with religion or Christianity or anything like that in just the production? Just have a look. Just have a look at the symbols. See the satanic symbols? No? Did you miss that one on the forehead? Did you uh, actually miss if you were what you were what you were looking? At? Did people actually miss what they were seeing? No, I didn't see. I didn't see anything that I noticed. I mean, I wasn't lo- looking closely enough. In fairness, so what, I mean, what would well, I see? Well, you've seen a satanic symbol on the forehead for once. Just look at the makeup of it. Look at the screeching and the roaring. And then she said she makes up spells and she uses them as songs. And she actually believes she's a witch and no, a pig. But, you know, she's not. But 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 that that was very much part of Irish history, culture, and folklore for thousands and thousands of years. No, no, no. You need to be. You you need to no, be. Able, you need to be able to live your life alongside others who live their lives differently. No, you go back and study what the, what the pagans were, what the actual pagans were. They didn't carry on like that. There was no these satanic symbols or anything like that. They I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know that that is a satanic symbol. I don't even know that it is. I see it here well, now. Well, then look it up. That's my opinion, I see, and I'm sticking to it, and I couldn't care less what anybody else says, and anyone decides to text him with all these stupid names and like to tone people, they don't mean anything to me, sorry, no, I'm my three-year-old, I'm minding how right, you so. Okay, I'll let you get back to a much more important work, text 0868104106, back after the break. Text or WhatsApp Neil now, 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Okay, I want to come back to the term F off money again before quitting time, because there's a different aspect to this as well. Hopefully I'll get an opportunity to chat about that. But I want to get back to the phone lines. Uh, Carl, good morning. Are you going to Eurovision? I'm going to Eurovision this year in Malmo. I was in Liverpool as well last year and it was fantastic. Okay. So and I just you're, wanted to... You're a, Euro, you're a Eurovision fan then? Like you actually were they? I, I are, are they the two that you've travelled? So you've been to one before. Have you been to any others? No, I've, this this year will be my fourth one. Um, the, the Malmo one. So I've been to... I was at the one in Copenhagen when Conchita divorced one um, and the one in uh, Stockholm as well when okay. You, okay. the Ukraine one. So would you say you'd be a, a good man to call a winner then? Well, I suppose, yeah. Well, you know, look, there's a lot of things that kind of factor into this. But I, I wanted to text in because I wanted to say a couple of things. One, that um, I personally am delighted with the selection for Ireland's Eurovision entry. I think Bambi is epic. I'd never heard of this artist before the pre-selection and oh, then I, I went in yeah. on to, to Spotify to to listen to some of the back catalogue and really I was thinking to myself, how come we've never heard of this artist before? Because they are absolutely outstanding and their music is very cross-genre. They're super talented, not to mention really good live. So I just wanted to say that. And also just in relation to, um, the, you know, the critical or the criticism that's coming for the way that this artist presents themselves visually. I just, I, you know, when Conchita... What, like the, one, the demonic, satanic criticism, is it that? It's it's more to do with ruinism and 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 um, kind of the visual witchcraft, and also it kind of leans into the goth look. You know, I don't know much about that myself, but I, I will make some comparisons for you. Okay, so I don't know if you remember, but back in 1998, when Dana International won for Israel, Israel do you remember she was the first transgender winner of the Eurovision? Yeah. Um, the uh, 
Jewish Orthodox Church in Israel, or the whatever you'd call them, the Orthodox political party went on the rampage when she won the national selection. Uh, the same thing happened when Conchita Vorst was selected to represent Austria. She was the drag queen that won. Yeah. Um, so there's a sort of a pattern here. The Serbian Orthodox Church actually uh, blamed Conchita Vorst's uh, win or her victory in the Eurovision um, as the reason for some floods that happened in Serbia a couple of weeks later they went on TV it's just stupid but you know something Uh, if you look at the Johnny Johnny Logan believes that uh, they have a very good chance of winning right and he won Mm -hmm. twice a very different Eurovision then much different to say going back to Dana and what have you It's, it's an alt competition by and large it's very alternative isn't it now. Well, you, you get a bit of everything and that's one of the reasons why I am big into it. I, I love the, the fact that you discover artists you may never have heard of and that applies from from Ireland right the way over to Georgia, Azerbaijan, the whole lot of it. Uh, and there's a bit of everything and there'll be a bit of everything this year. Now, I'm not sure we have a winner but I do think and I think the whole official fan club is right behind Bambi Thug this year. Um, and I do think we could potentially make the top 10 okay. with this. And but it, the goal is to qualify for the final. But I don't remember as much talk about an entry since, say, Dustin the turkey was sent in a trolley. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Let's and, not go there. Let's and, not, would, let's that not was go probably, there. would that have been our lowest moment? Uh, it was one of them anyway. I, I have to say, in actual fact, I think last year was our lowest moment. Was it? I can't even um, recall. There you go. I don't even recall the entry last like, year. Exactly. And that was Wild Youth, a successful band in Ireland. Um, and they won the National Song Contest with a very competent pop song, nice middle of the road song that everybody immediately forgot and the moment they were selected every single member of the official fan club turned and looked at each other and went we are not getting into the final this year yeah um the feeling is completely the opposite this time around so we should be very thankful to them then i think it's great and you know what i it, you're always going to get people who don't like stuff right and if you're an artist or if you're somebody in the public eye you know yourself you get exposed to negative mm-hmm. feedback mm-hmm. and to criticism all the time it's part of the job but there isn't a reason to be cruel or nasty if you don't like something just don't I listen just to it when I, when I when i asked them about that and they said i send love yeah, no, listen, the, some of the stuff that Bambi Thug has been saying in the media is an absolute credit to them. And, you know, it just goes to show how well they're going to be able to handle the press and all of the media that's going to follow them around when they go to Sweden. And this is one of the reasons why I think the song is going to do really, really I well. I'm just, just, I'm just wondering, though, in, in a democracy where people are entitled to their own opinions, are, are mm-hmm. people not entitled to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't agree with... Um, uh, being non-gender, being non-binary, it, it's not for me. I'm entitled to criticise it. I'm entitled to have those views. Are, are people entitled to have the view that they don't agree with uh, transgenderism? A, a, any, anything that they wish, to be quite honest with you. I, look, I mean, you're kind of going down a rabbit hole there on what's opinion and what's facts, you know. But people are perfectly entitled to not like something. It's a different question. Mm, mm. I, you know? I suppose it's the manner in which they make their point, really, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And it's just a matter of respect. There's no reason to be 
rude or ignorant or dismissive of people. Um, <clears throat> I just don't get it. Anyway, look, I, I just wanted to say... Thank you. And, and listen, it would be good maybe to totally hook up... There for okay, it, may be, it might be good to hook up. I don't know whether you've got an opportunity to do it in May when you're in Malmo, but if you're any near a phone, would you take a call? I would love to. Thank you, pal. I've got your number. We'll be back to you. Talk soon. Take All care, best. Carl. Bye. Cheers. Connor. good morning. Morning, how are things? I'm good. Uh, not much time left. So your thoughts? Yeah, look, I, I run a Eurovision podcast called Airvision. And, um, oh, I do you now? Okay, you're one of these characters that critiques all of the songs. Yeah, I wouldn't call myself a character now, but I, I like to think that I entertain the people with I my mean opinion. That in the, I, I, I mean that in the nicest possible way. I, I watched two <laughs> of them yesterday. I found them very entertaining. I didn't come across your one, but go ahead anyway. Uh, yeah, well, like, look, we we've been a year and a half in the in on, online and stuff, doing our opinions and stuff, and uh, can say I have not seen a support for an Irish act like this in God knows how long, probably since Jedward, and um, if I'm being honest, and it's great to see, and I think that the country should should start getting behind our acts because every single year we're quick to cri- criticise them, you know, for not singing the right song. I always remember Ryan or Shockley in 2018, the song's born, the song's this that. And then suddenly when he qualifies, everyone is jumping on the bandwagon. We seem to have that kind of pattern in our country of getting on the bandwagon when it's useful. So, yeah, I think people should just calm down, enjoy the song, enjoy the artist. They are fantastic. Chatted to them yesterday as well myself. And I am excited to see what they bring to the Eurovision stage in, in May. Can you please tell me, I know that it's early days, but can you please tell me where the competition will come from for Barbie, Bambi Thug? What country? Who should we be uh, watching? Oh, well, you, obviously the main big hitters like Sweden, but in terms of direct competition, there's another witchy kind of act from Slovenia, but I think Bambi will stand on their own two feet. You know, they are very unique. They've got a very, you know, very different sense of sound. I don't think anything, I personally haven't heard this from a Eurovision song ever. So I think we will stand perfectly on our own two feet in a, in a, in a semi-final. And what are you saying? Like enough of this divisiveness, let's all get behind them together. Yeah, a bit of positivity. You know, we're great for supporting the soccer team, the rugby team, you know, and we're not great at rugby or we're not great at the soccer team, you know, and we'll, we'll support them until we're, we're 3 nil down at, at the 90th minute. So for once, can we just get behind our Eurovision Act and send the, the support to them because they deserve it. And like you said earlier, their statement put out, it was bang on. All they do is send love back to the people that hate on them and just get behind the act for once. Good man, Connor. Good man. Are you travelling? No, I'm just actually on my lunch break. No, <laughs> no, my apologies. This is the way Cork people. This is the way we call. This is the way we talk. I mean, are you are you travelling to Malmo? Oh, I am. I am. I am. Of course, without my tickets and all. So How I'm many like, have you the, been to? Fan club. I have been. This will be my third one this year now. All right. Well, listen. If you're anywhere near a phone, come May. Don't be a stranger. Give me a call. Love to chat again. <laughs> of course again. not. Of course not. We'll have to get you over then. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you fly get me you first class and put me up in a five-star hotel, I'm your man. <laughs> I don't have the funds for that, I'm afraid. I don't have the funds for that, but sure, we'll see. <laughs> maybe Bambi Thug needs a backup dancer or maybe a backup vocalist or something. There you go. We'll get, we'll get you in the game now. We'll have you on the stage too. All right, Thanks away. <laughs> I won't sleep tonight with the nightmares. Thanks, Connor. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818. Or 4106 back after the The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Well, what I won't get to today, I will get to tomorrow. I mentioned earlier on in the paper review, uh, just after nine, the independent councillor McFinn, who was talking about um, uh, concerns uh, that he would have, and also families about an increase in organised fights taking place in 
areas of the city. Incidentally, thank you to Richie, who sent me a text this morning saying, I witnessed three teenagers attacking a kid in a Christian's uniform. He was about 14. An elderly lady in her 70s ran in to break it up and one of them then turned and attacked her. She was unbelievably brave and courageous. It happened on Patrick Street 4pm in the afternoon and I reported the matter to Anglesey Street Garda Station. I wonder if that perhaps is a typical example of what Mick Finn is talking about. Mick, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, or what are, yeah, look. yeah, go ahead. Is it that? Yeah, no. Just when you when you when you say that, look. I mean, I've heard of those incidences as well happening happening around the city, um, you know, which are kind of troubling enough. When you you know when you, when you consider that you you know you'd expect people to intervene, and then if they end up being the ones who are subject to you know even more violence, as well. Uh, but I mean, three I teenagers across. then attacking an elderly woman in her seventies, like that's the lowest oh, of the low. Yes. Absolutely, and look, it, it does happen. I know it does. Um, I suppose what I what I came across in the last number of weeks that it was kind of almost by accident because it was other issues I was I was talking to parents about was you know these organised fights at weekends or in evening times that are happening apparently you know every weekend um, and they're kind of alternating between the north side and the south side uh, people going up and down to, to these fights um, you know what they're about I can only guess really um, but there was a very serious incident one in, in kind of my neck of the woods about two weeks ago um, and there were a number of teens kind of involved and it was it ended up being kind of one against seven or eight. Other people went in to intervene and there was one serious injury in it. Um, and I think, you know, the problem here, Neil, is from, from what I'm hearing, and even this morning, I'm actually getting lots of texts this morning when it appeared on, on the Echo and, and on your show when you mentioned it, um, was that this is a, a regular occurrence. And why would, seven set, why would seven, seven set on beating the living daylights out of one? Why would that happen? Yeah, I, look, I mean, I, I, you know... That's it's premeditated, is it? Yeah, a lot of it is, and I think then. But what happens then with some of these things is that they take on lives of their own, and people get involved. You know, maybe that weren't due to get involved because of the situation that that arises. Um, and you have maybe you know people going up to these events, you know, maybe to watch it on look, and then all of a sudden they're dragged into it as well, and they think that can happen. Um, and that's certainly the case in this in this you know major one a couple of weeks ago. And look, I suppose you know it's, you know you said, you mentioned there that there was reported to the Gardaí, but that elderly woman on Patrick Street, this was reported as well. The Gardaí know about it, but I I think that you know that they need extra resources or maybe a specialist uh, response group to deal with these incidents. Because what do they you know, do with them then, Mick? They're underage. Yeah, and that's probably one of the problems is that there's nowhere to put them or, you know, but in saying that that's not an excuse, you know, not to do anything about it uh, because my fear here is that the serious injury that happened a couple of weeks ago will actually, uh, you know, lead to something worse. So this serious incident you say was in the south side a couple of weeks back and it involved an organised fight with local teens with a gang from the north side. Would this have been something that played out on TikTok in advance or on Snapchat or something? Yeah, look, that's my that's my information, and I think the problem is, you know, I, I heard from some of the parents that there was going kind to of implements involved, um, you know, knives. But I think the biggest thing was these knuckle rings that that they're wearing, you know, that if they were stopped by the guardie, you know, they're, you know, they're pieces of jewellery, but they can cause serious damage. Um, you know, when involved in fist fights and stuff like that, and you know, apart, you know, you get caught with with carrying a knife, and obviously there are implications. But 
uh, you know, there's ways around it. And I think that was uh, one of the, the the reasons why that young fella got um, a particularly bad beating and, and had to go to hospital. Wow. Um, was seen was wow. seen running across the road. You know, it was nearly knocked down trying to escape the fight. And I suppose, look, that's the reality of these situations. I tell you what, people want. You probably know it as much as I do. People want these characters rounded up and st- and thrown into a juvenile detention centre. That's what they want. <laughs> Yeah, they probably, you know, and I mean, that maybe used to happen. It did. We had places in Cork previously as well where these people maybe were housed and in residentials, but all of those options, all of those have been closed down. Um, and I'd imagine one of the problems, apart from guard resources, um, one of the, the, the problems is that there are nowhere to put these young people when that happens. Um, but as I say, that shouldn't be an excuse not to deal with it. And that there are other things like antisocial behaviour orders, you know, um, putting kind of curfews on young people and stuff can work as well if, if, if they're you know 13, 14, 15 the schools can be can be informed but just because there's no yeah, yeah, no. they're laughing at they're laughing at a lot of that so you don't think that any of this is tied into drug debt I've been hearing a lot about that Do you think? yeah I think it is I think it is um, you know again I, you, 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 as a local councillor I'm sure those will, will tell you the same that we're contacted by parents when people you know knocking on their door looking for ten, up to 10 grand 15 grand and it's the first some of these parents have heard about it um, and you know I, I'm certain that a lot of these organised fights are to do with that and maybe you know control of local areas and you know young young people being drawn into the whole drug scene as kind of carriers and as mules and stuff like that I tell you one thing though that elderly lady in her 70s she ran in to break this up this is three teenagers attacking a kid in a Christian's uniform he's only 14 so he's probably what first year second year perhaps. Uh, and then she gets turned on and she gets beaten up she must be wondering mm. Um, what kind of a society she's living in and thinking to herself, it, it wasn't like this when I was a teenager. It wasn't like this when I was in my 20s or 30s, you know? Absolutely. And again, that underlines the kind of constant calls for having, you know, very visible patrols in around the city centre if that's where it happened. Um, and that was raised with the, with the Garda Commissioner at a joint policing committee before Christmas. And it was largely kind of dismissed. Um, and I'm sure local Gardaí will tell you here that you know that they could um, maybe do more patrolling and stuff if they have if some of their other time was freed up. And I, I think it goes down to resources. And I'm sh- I'm certain that if there were people patrolling Patrick Street, Grand Parade, in around the city centre, yeah. that yeah. They'd, you know that they, that there'd, there'd be more immediate response to those things. And hopefully it would be prevention. You know, because people will know that they won't get away. With totally, it. because everybody travels now. If they're lucky enough to go overseas on a holiday, they see it in other cities. They see a police presence. There and they're wondering why is it so difficult to have it say here in Cork 100% um, I was in Marseille recently and uh, you know it was very visible now they have a lot of issues as well kind of away from the tourist parts of the city but it was very visible on the streets and there are repercussions if you break the law in public or if you're you know involved in antisocial behaviour like you're, you're afraid to mess with the police um, and I'm sure that's the, 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 the case as well in maybe in London or Liverpool or Manchester. Um, you know, we've, we've all seen that when we're away in Spain. That you'd be, you know, you look at them and they all have their guns. And oh, their, yeah, you wouldn't uh, mess with them. You know, but, but I think the policing by consent model here is under threat. And I have said before, look, we need certainly, in, at the first instance, more Gardaí on the beat in around the city. You know, people have said there's people in there, yeah, you know, okay. with issues, homelessness, drugs, everything else. And it's, we, we, need, we need more Gardaí. Thanks, Mick. Thanks for taking the call, as always, Councillor Mick Finn. Our lines will stay open. Your thoughts on that topic are welcome, like all others. Text 0868 I mentioned earlier on, just very quickly, I was talking about F off money, where it was billionaires were talking about the fact that, do you want to 
jump in on this. I know it's just ahead of the news, but you were, you were making a fabulous point. I'm joined by Lana O'Connor just ahead of the news. I was saying F off money from the terms of having enough not to give a damn what people thought. And you reminded me of something that was very much synonymous with Ireland and Cork of, of say, many years ago. Yeah, runaway money. Now, my mother never told me about runaway money. I just like to put it out there, yeah. right? But you were advised, you know, when you were getting married, um, that you should have your own little private account. And it was called runaway money. Even in the post office of the credit union, you just fed into it so that you'd have some independence from your husband in case you I have you heard ever, of that. Yeah, now, and I'm not going back that far. Like, I'm talking like mid-90s. Like, was it popular? Well, yeah. Like, I had a few friends. Like, I got married in 1996 and I had friends who had this. Like, they, like and it's a real secretive thing. They don't talk about it. And then, you, so you'd never let your husband know how much is in it. Yeah. And even amongst friends, they wouldn't really say how much is there. But and they would regularly, grow, then? Yeah. Like, they'd keep it going all the way through and they regularly put their little, however, a small amount of money, I suppose, to begin with, aside. I wonder if it dated back to when women didn't work and they would have been very dependent Vulnerable. on their husbands. Uh, yeah, and they wouldn't have had any sort of money of their own. And was it literally in the event of you needing to, to get, get out away. of the... Yeah. yeah, to get away. Yeah, now I don't think, like as friends of mine who told me like I certainly don't think their mothers thought that they were marrying bad men yeah. or that things were going to go wrong, but it was the just in case. And would a mother sure recommend a daughter then to have runaway Yeah, woman? that's that's how I heard about it. Now Amazing. my mother never recommended it to me, so I yeah. don't no, have this no, lovely no, no, pot. Just, just about but it. I wish I had, Neil. Wouldn't yeah. it be great if, it if we had still, a little if pot? It was still growing. <laughs> exactly. That I would have had it for 20 odd years if Fantastic. I'd love to hear from people actually who may be able to develop this theme, this conversation, runaway money. Maybe they had it themselves or they know of the story. So get involved. Text 0868104106. Thanks, Lan. Lads, have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. When court talks, car people blow my mind. They talk to Neil Prendeville on Red FM.